on this episode of the Star Wars Time Show! Matt and Nick will be looking for one way out as they take a deep dive approach to breaking down Andor Episode 10, the one where people should win Emmys for. Once they're done proclaiming how heroic Kino Loy is, they'll then tackle a new interview from Lord Gilroy on how he's been processing both fan and critical reactions to his adult Star Wars show. The dudes will also talk about how Endor will be getting a larger audience soon thanks to a new tactic by Disney and Disney+. Plus. Maybe you'll even get some Matt Mando game time this week if time permits. Of course, the show will end with Question of the Week responses and the latest round of Top 5 Star Wars Fan Artist Features. Punch it, Chewie! Hey now, everybody! It is one of those excellent days to be alive. Nay, to be a human. Why, you might be asking? Well, because I have been pulling what little hair remains out from my head this entire morning, thanks to technology and being a remote worker and not having a built-in IT department to handle my IT needs. By being someone that subscribes to an ISP that now has weekly outages. It's a good time to be alive. You know what I'm saying? Is anyone here? Can anyone hear me? Can anyone see me? I honestly don't know. It has been a day. All right? A day. And if you are on the live stream, you know it's been a day because, look, we're missing something. We're missing something big for an episode of the Star Wars Time Show. And that's my fucking co-pilot. <laughs> Nick's not here either. It's, a, it's just a day. You know what I mean? It's just one of those days. So I'm here. Nick is going to join us at some point in time. Apparently he decided to schedule a dog grooming visit on a show day. I don't know what the hell that's all about, but that's why Nick's not here. Uh, it, it had nothing to do with his his shitty uh, technical problems or anything. He just scheduled the dog to get groomed, and apparently it took longer than he thought. So he is out picking up his dog, and he's not here talking about Star Wars. Fuck! I don't want to be doing a solo show today. It's an Andor day. It's episode 10, One Way Out. One way out. I need one way out of my fucking house right now. You know what I mean? Jeez. I hate days like this. I, I, I wake up usually on Tuesdays with a smile on my face because I know that there is time for Star Wars time on Tuesdays. There's time every day, but Tuesday is a special day. Why? You all know why. At least those that come and have some fun here on the YouTube. That's because that's when we record. That's when we do the weekly show. We do the live stream. We record the vocals to post on Wednesdays to go up on podcast platforms. So Tuesdays is usually a great day, but today it's just like I've hit the, uh, if you're a, if you're a, um, 
peripheral watcher, I've essentially hit the jackpot today, at least in terms of, of technical screw-ups. So bear with me here. I, I do not have a lot of faith that I'm going to get through the show without my ISP going out again. Uh, if you're a like a Breeze Line or, or I think if you used to be a WoW subscriber, they became Breeze Lines. And uh, it's just it's, it's been a shit show. I don't know. It's like it, somehow when WoW got taken over by Breeze Line, the the service led service level went from ninety nine point nine 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 percent to like ninety five percent. And if you're in technology, you know that that's just it, it's unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. And the reason I, I have a feeling that this this is going to come back is because BreezeLine is literally having a uh, nationwide outage right now. So uh, hopefully we can get through this. But like I said, BreezeLine is having such a major problem. Maybe it's the Russians. Who knows? Maybe it's the goddamn ISB and Dedra Miro trying to kill our radio signal but uh, i digress i guess i should get moving here who knows when nick's showing up hopefully soon so we can get right into the andor breakdown before uh, my isp pisses itself again bat bat's asking in a stream has anyone seen sir dork and uh, i have not i've seen him on twitter like, uh, he, he's responding or interacting with some of our Twitter content, which is just bullshit. We regurgitate from IG. Uh, but I, I don't know if he's back on IG, how his account disappeared. I, I don't know what Jared Middleton, a.k.a. Sir Dork 730 has gotten mixed up in ever since he got his YouTube channel hacked. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping things haven't propagated to his other accounts, but uh, I, I'm with the community here. At least the toy photography community. He, his, his account's just been gone for like a week, so... Jared, we speak your name. We speak your name. If you're listening, let us know what the hell is going on and if you're all right. Okay, so while we wait for Nick, and hopefully it's not too long, but I have a feeling it's going to be long since he's not here yet, I'm just going to go ahead and and handle the old old, uh, pop culture talk on my own. And if you are on the live stream, as you can see, I do have a topic to get into, and that is a Wakanda forever. All right, I checked it out with the family on on Friday, and um, I, I don't know. I, I I've got some thoughts. All right, I don't know if they're going to be popular thoughts or if you've seen it, if you're going to agree with me. But I, I will say that Wakanda forever, if anything else, like most of the Phase Four MCU projects which this closed out, right? This was the last Phase 4 project, apparently. Um, it, it, as I was saying, it just the, the, the whole fourth phase of the MCU, just, to me, just kind of felt like a waste. Like, what, what was the point of it outside of, I guess, coming back to our characters after the, the snap and dealing with all that, the death of Tony Stark... This, that, and the other thing, but, you know, in the Phase 4, we, we had minimal to no setup of a big bad. I know Kang is supposed to be that big bad, but you got really nothing. You got some stuff in the, in the Loki show, but that wasn't even Kang. That was another variant or version of him. And you get nothing in uh, Wakanda Forever. Spoilers, by the way. 
So, you know, like I said, Wakanda Forever, to me, just felt like MCU Phase 4. It was kind of, hmm, ha, yeah, okay, whatever, what's the point, where's our Thanos, do the heroes even interact with each other again, what's the through line through all these different properties in the MCU, how are they all going to connect, I just don't see the roadmap anymore. Like it was so clear in Marvel phase one, two, and three. Now, in terms of the movie itself, I'm going to be honest with you. It does a great job, a fantastic job. I mean, if, if you have emotions, you may even get teared up here and there. When Wakanda Forever pays tribute to Chadwick Boseman, the Black Panther, T'Challa, if you will. Uh, you know, the opening segment handles his, his passing really well. You can feel the gravity of, of this human dying and the impact he had on his castmates, the crew, the MCU, and, you know, just, just Black Panther. I mean, he, he, was, he was the man. He really was a great actor. He, he did great in the T'Challa role. And I think this movie does a great job at, at honoring him, who he was, and what he brought to the MCU. Now, that aside, I, I think this movie is, is kind of clunky. Uh, it's extremely bloated in terms of its runtime. It does not need to be two hours and, and 42 minutes long. Uh, it, it definitely could have benefited from another edit or another editor in the room kind of trimming some, some, some of the fat out of there. Uh, so it's, it's way too long. And... and it, you know, we, we've seen other almost three-hour-long comic book movies, Star Wars movies, uh, just movies in general. And you know a film is good when you don't feel like you are sitting in a theater for three hours. Wakanda Forever, I don't know. Hey, it could have been a gloomy Friday. Who knows? But there were times I was looking down at my watch going, holy shit, we've only been here an hour and there's, you know, uh, another hour 42 to go. Wow. So it, it the, the pacing is off. It's um it it just it seems a bit scatterbrained in terms of what was the core plot? What were the the narrative threads that the team wanted to execute from start to finish? Uh things are jumping around. They're bringing in characters like uh, the purple-haired lady, Van whatever her name is, played by uh, Julie, Julia Louise Dreyfus. She shows up and is like, bah, 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 bah. So they're, they're trying to like loop into that because she showed up in other Phase 4 stuff, so why not? I guess she's the connective tissue. They got a story going on with Wakanda and its politics, with this uh, Talacon, whatever the fuck it is, Namor's place and its politics. You got the 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 at-large politics and hey Wakanda we want your stuff your king's gone what are you gonna do uh, it, it's just it's kind of all over with its messaging there is no clear plot uh, if they would have just picked one or the other main narrative thread it probably would have been a a better movie but it just it does feel like things jumped around and nothing was was given a proper amount of time to marinate and um I, I don't know. It's just, just just nothing I really thoroughly enjoyed. Hold on. I think our special guest is calling in. Hello. Hello, young Nick. There he is. I told you he would make it. It's been a day of days, Nick. It's been a day of days, buddy. Uh, who knows how long my, my setup is going to last. Uh, 
WOW is now reporting or Breeze Line that they're dealing with a nationwide outage. So uh, I'm guessing like AWS lost a pipe or a major circuit's been dropped. Uh, but so far, so good. We, we, we haven't cut out yet. So let me just make sure that you are... All right, your mic's on for the stream. Let's get our timing done real quick. So get your recorder up. All right, and here, all right, it, no kidding, dude, it, it's, it's unbelievable what my morning's been like, but anyway, so I can kind of get a, a marker of when we start the recording, ready, go. Go! Now all of you people listening in the live stream know exactly how Matt and I handle the pre-show start. So and we, we fuck that up sometimes, so. We do, we do, <laughs> we do mess that up sometimes. <laughs> okay, so hopefully I'll be able to piece those together because I had my stem going the whole time, but I think we we had enough of delay when you were like, go, that I should be able to find the puzzle piece to slide the stems into. All right, let, let me get you ca caught up real quick, Nick. I was just doing my little ditty on Wakanda forever. I was at the point kind of saying it's way too long, needed have, edited, have not bit seen messy. It. Okay. Uh, a bit messy handled Chadwick's passing quite well that's really the best part about the movie uh, a few final thoughts though I uh without getting spoilery but you know they they, they had to make a pivot with with Chadwick dying yep. and they didn't they weren't going to recast him fine that was great like I said they, they handled that well what, what I'm not a huge fan of, and, and, you know, this is just me kind of maybe bringing too much of the real-life actors' politics into a, a fake movie about superheroes, but the fact that Letitia Wright, Shuri, is, is kind of the lead now and the star just doesn't—it just never felt right, because if you know her, the way she thinks, she's kind of one of these dummies, you know? Uh, she caused all sorts of problems for Marvel during the pandemic. She was one of these hardcore anti-vax celebs, deleting tweets, putting tweets out, never apologize. Just all that bullshit that seems like it's so many years ago, but it is in our recent history. And here's the deal. She's a fine actress. She's great. She's, she's, she's great in Wakanda forever. I mean, she, she helps sells the homage to Chadwick Boseman, 100%. It's, it's nothing to do with her acting ability. I just, I, I have a hard time seeing her as a, as a heroine, a hero figure, uh, a, a leader, someone uh, meant to, to, to be a do-gooder. Uh, so, you know, that compounded with the overly long runtime, the messy plot, uh, and just how great the first Black Panther was, Wakanda Forever is a bit of a letdown, all right? It's... It's more just phase four, meh, okay. Phase four Marvel, nothing really going on. I mean, that, 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 that's my take. So I would, if we had to rate it here, Nick, it's probably a, a seven out of 10. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not a complete pile of shit, but they needed an editor in there. Someone to say like, no, we need to, we need to kind of button this thing up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'll go see it eventually. Um, I honestly... I just saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness for the first time last week. And I thought that that was okay. Like, I just feel like phase, like phase four of Marvel has been just kind of a letdown in general. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, and that's how I opened this. I'm like, listen, this ended the phase four and it was apropos because it 
It was just kind of blah. You yeah. know, nothing. You, I didn't feel when I watched the first Black Panther. I mean, I was ready to get on fucking tribal war paint, stand in a waterfall with no shirt, and start doing those like body undulations that the that the female warriors do. Like that shit was motivational. I mean, the 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 Ludwig Göransson soundtrack that that African centric mi- mixed with Kendrick Lamar songs. It was just, it was a great movie. It was, it, we, we just rewatched it and I reaffirmed like, yes, this is good. This is why I like the Black Panther. This was devoid of most of those feelings. Yeah, I, I and, can understand that. Like it's, it's hard to bounce back from uh, like a, such a huge, like real life loss and then just try to like translate it into movie world. Yeah. That, that's always going to be hard. Like, I didn't know shit about Letitia Wright's personal politics, nor do I really care about them. Um, So, like, that's not going to affect the way that I watch the movie. But, like, if it's just poorly edited, which I feel like a lot of these movies in in the fourth phase have been poorly edited because it almost seems like Marvel's in this place where they're like, well, we can do no wrong. So, like, we'll just, like, it doesn't matter if we cut it or if we don't cut it. Like, people are going to like it no matter what. Hey. So. And they're right because I think this thing made three hundred thirty million in its opening. Uh, oh yeah, weekends. it's like the second highest grossing <laughs> film I think in it, the last. It, four it's years like already that. made more money than than Black Adam, and Black oh, yeah. Adam's been out for almost a month. Oh yeah, so you, you're not wrong. I mean, they the MCU still prints cash. I mean, they're they're doing what Star Wars should be doing, but we won't go down that that dark dank cellar at this mm. point in time because Star Wars movies are fucking broken and, until. We actually get a trailer for one. That's my stance. The shit's We, we got no Star Wars movies and currently running. We got like half a Star Wars TV show. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. We're kind of forever. I, it's nothing I feel like you need to run out and see. This is one that I'd be like, hey, if you want to wait for Disney Plus, it'll probably be out there in, in January, February. You're not going to be uh, missing out, which is a bummer because I, I did really enjoy the Black Panther franchise and, and all the setup they did with Wakanda and you know, M'Baku's great in this, and it, it does have good moments. It just, it doesn't flow well from start to finish, and, and you can really feel the loss of, of Chadwick, even though they do some great tributes to his passing. Yeah. The only thing I saw this, well, actually I saw it yesterday, was Clerks 3 when Kevin came through on the tour through Austin. So that's where... Dude, to- I don't even know if I've seen Clerks 2. And that I think Clerks 2 is the one where Rosario joins yeah, the cast, that, right? She is, yeah. That one came out in 06, so it was it was a long time ago, 16, 16 years. Um, yeah, so it was good. It was it was off the wall, it was crazy, it was meta, referential to his other movies, to him making the first clerks in a big way. Yeah. Um, if you like Kevin's stuff. Uh, then definitely go see it because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. We both enjoyed it. We did, we did, we watched Clerks uh, 1 on Saturday. We watched Clerks 2 yesterday or on Sunday, and then yesterday was the day we uh, we saw the, the movie. Yeah, you know what? I, I need to do that. I think I need to, I haven't watched a, a Smith film probably since Jay and Silent Bob the sequel, which for a minute I was like, this sucks, but then it gets really good. It does, like, especially at the end with his kid and everything like that. Like, Yeah, reboot. yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. We saw, I, I'm, I'm like you, man. I'm, I'm a huge Smith fan. Yeah. You went, is this the show you went where he actually was there and, and was it his stage show? Yeah, yeah, it's his stage show. And I actually, 
actually saw Reboot the same way because he toured the country with Reboot and he always comes through Austin at the Paramount and saw that with him. He did a Q&A and Jay was there too. So him and Jay did a Q&A after the movie. This time it was just him. So he came through, screened the movie, had about a, his Q&As, if you know, Kevin lasts forever. His Q&A lasted longer than the movie. So no, he's, he really is like, he is, he's my type of geek. I mean, he's someone like me that, I mean, he will, he'll get emotional over this fake stuff and he'll oh, cry yeah. and blubber and all that stuff. And, oh yeah. He, and he, I just, I like the way he writes. I like the way he writes his movies and it, it, it has been a while. I, I do need to revisit some of those Smith classics like Mallrats, the, the original Jay and Silent Bob. I mean, the yeah. original Jay and Silent Bob, I was like a homer for that. I memorized his, his weed song, which I, I can't remember anymore. Like, fuck, fuck, motherfuck, fuck, motherfuck, fuck, motherfuck, 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 It's so great, man. It's oh, it was so such a dipshit back then. It was great. I mean, yeah, me and my buddy, we, you know, roll some fatties, drive down to the theater, get, you know, get them down in the parking lot, walk in pretending like we didn't stink like skunks oh, and just yeah. sitting in the theater and be like, <laughs> Dude, that, that's what I love about Kevin's movies, man. It's just like, they're just a good time. It's just a good time yeah. when you watch them and like, no, they are great. And yeah. I like, you know, that him and Ben Affleck have made up because yeah. they were like boys. I mean, they, they worked on a lot of the, the early movies. Oh yeah. Me, so. Oh yeah. And Affleck, pops up in clerks two and he pops up in clerks three but like in clerks it was after clerks two when they had their falling out and then it was what 15 years later when he finally gets back hooked up with ben yeah very very recently i think they had their heart to heart yeah so they're they're back on good terms yeah so he popped up in clerks three i mean it was it was really like if you like the first clerks go out watch clerks three because this one really hits all the notes. It like it really right. does kind of bring you now, back. Now, now, do time. you do you also recommend doing the rewatch though? Like, if I haven't seen Clerks one or two, I have never seen two. Uh, but I, it's been probably 10, 15 years. Should yeah. I brush up on those? I would definitely brush up um, because there are characters like main characters in two that play significant roles in three. Um, like the kid Elias that worked at the the burger joint with them, like he's a he's a main character in three. Okay. Um, well, how Rosario, I'm, I'm assuming, becomes a main character. Yeah, Ro- Rosario two, right? s- still plays a significant role in three as well. So definitely uh, do yourself a favor and, and just brush up on the on the plot line of three and or on the plot line of two because it kind of it picks up um, at pretty close to you know where that storyline left off. So ten four. Yeah, All right. Yeah, it was good Rock stuff. and roll. You guys caught up on the peripheral? Have you put that one on the back burner? For we you? haven't because we, we just, like, Taylor was out of town last week from Thursday until Saturday. And then on Sunday, oh, we Bachelor had, Nick. She, yeah, did you, she, did you play with yourself in any new rooms of the house that you have not done that yet? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if there were any free rooms left in the house. But, uh, <laughs> no, cause that, so that's when I sat down and watched, um, uh, multiverse of madness because guy she, she wasn't really I, I i like that one i mean it, it's again it's nothing to write home about but i, I it was okay i like the the young girl and, and his yeah. bond that that kind of relationship yeah. I, I thought it was enjoyable but i could definitely like that was where i you could first see like okay like phase four is not gonna be as like impactful no. as phase three <laughs> no. so 
No, there, there's like no, as I said, there's almost, there's zero through line to yeah. connect these movies and TV shows together. It's just, it's like they, Kevin Feige or, or the bot, if he truly is a robot now, <laughs> yeah. he really is just reading off of old algorithms. Like, I will do that. Like you would figure oh, wow. that like if Kang the Conqueror is literally going to be like the end all be all of phase four. We haven't seen him in anything except fucking Loki. I mean, I and that wasn't seen... even that wasn't even technically Kang. That, yeah, that was a was, variant was... of of the guy. Yeah, that's so. one of the variants. So like, I have I still haven't seen Thor yet. The new Thor. I'm gonna probably gonna Nothing. watch that soon. But, yeah, watch it, but it, it's not connected to anything. Yeah, Just, all right. But like, you have all these. You have like Multiverse of Madness. You have the Eternals. You have. Thor, you have nothing. Yeah, nothing, 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 and nothing. Their stingers don't connect anything. Yeah, so it just seems odd and very disconnected as to what is going on. Like, I don't know if they're planning for like Phase Four to be like a setup phase for like the ultimate. Well, it's over. Like Phase Four is done. Yeah, so Phase Four is done. So whatever, whatever was supposed to be, that's what it is. It's it's out there now. Wakanda Forever was the. The end, I mean, clearly, if you've seen the trailer for the next Ant-Man movie, that's when they're finally introducing Kang, but that's phase five, so fuck it. Who yeah. cares? They're, they're still pumping out movies. We're here to talk Star Wars, which doesn't believe in movies anymore, <laughs> but they sure as shit believe in Lord Gilroy and adult Star Wars, so let's go ahead and shift gears into our Andor episode 10, One Way Out, review and deep dive breakdown. All right, man, I, I know you probably, it's fresh on your mind. You don't like to play early and, and get all excited like us, us fanboys do here. I do not. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and let you roll with things. But I will say that this, this episode smacked. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so go for yeah. it. Let's see how you processed one it, way out. It was one good. way out. One um, way out. It was good. Paid off on all of the, you know, the the build up to the to the prison escape, um, and I think that they executed that really well. I think the prison escape was executed really well in terms Fantastic. of like a, uh, like just like a cinematic, uh, way and and you know all the pieces coming together and and yeah, I mean I definitely agree that this was the highlight of the of the last three episode arc, maybe the highlight of the whole series so far. Um, True. so big fan of the entire, uh, escape plan, stuff like that. Um, still kind of waiting for development in, in my, on my, in like my opinion, um, Jerry is still out on this Mothma B plot. Um, no, like I didn't think that the, so like singular conversation that she had with Davo was that impactful. Like, um, and nor do I feel yeah, like it's it, just. It's kind of, I mean, it, the fun aspect of that conversation was thinking, is Mon Mothma going to sell her daughter for the Rebel Alliance? Yeah, that's that's yeah. really what that, that was the point of that scene to to essentially a a, a crime lord on Chandrilla. Yeah, so that was interesting to see how that all kind of shook out. Um, but yeah, it's still waiting to see how that goes because I'm still not, on fully on board with that. I, I told you, I told you Lita Lida, whatever the fuck her name is, she is going to be something. And yeah. look, it's, it's, it's turning into that. I knew she was going to play a major role in, in the, the Mothma narrative and oh, yeah. it's shaping up that way. It doesn't look like it, it's going to be the, Hey, mom's doing some shit, but it, it could be 
mom's trying to make me marry this guy, dad, why? And yeah. then he digs it's a bit like, and then maybe, maybe shit blows up. So yeah. mom is going to marry me off. Like it's 1498 in England. Um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of a, sh- kind of a shitty side plot, honestly. Like I, if it turns out to be like something interesting, um, I'm all for it. But as of right now, I'm just kind of writing off that whole arc. Yeah, in, in my thoughts section, I put Lida being betrothed is a thing that will fuck Mon. So whatever that meant, whatever I was thinking, that's what I meant right there. Yeah. The, um, the, the betrothal is going to cause her some problems one way or the other. Either going to screw her getting the money she needs, so she's going to be exposed, or she's really going to burn a bridge with her kid. Yeah. And cement the fact that her kid hates her guts and loves her shitty father. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, so here, here's how I'll... I know we still have episodes left so far. Here's how I'll summarize my thoughts on Andor thus far. It's definitely the best made Star Wars show yet. Um, in terms of just like um, production value, cinematography. Um, I would say like even acting, like acting is very up there in comparison to some of the other series. Namely Book of Boba Fett, which was the weakest in my opinion so far. Um, but I would rank, uh, Andor probably up there in the one, two range right next to Mandalorian and stuff. Um, it, it's not my favorite though. Um, you know, not my favorite show just because, you know, I like Star Wars for the reasons that Tony doesn't like Star Wars. So when he's making the show, like he's, he's making it for people who are ambivalent towards Star Wars or who who have like a, you know, a. A, a random opinion of Star Wars where like I would personally like to see a little bit more of the Star Wars fandom show up there, but Hey, that's just my opinion. Um, so Nick's in- a legacy guy. He he wants those cynical cameos. I, I like cynical <laughs> cameos. You know, I, I, I like when, uh, when, you know, Lord if, Gilroy says no, it, I also, and we'll get to this a little bit later. Cause that's, that, <laughs> that has popped up and it's exactly like I said it was, but, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Tony and his thoughts on the art department sneaking in Easter eggs. Oh, I love show. it. I love it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't wait to get, uh, get to that yeah. piece. He is a fucking gem, this man. Yeah. But so. he, he at least, he, he at least didn't say I killed them. Yeah. So. He kind of, he kind of liked that his art department sliding stuff in that he doesn't know about. Uh, all right. Well. I uh, I found one way out to be spectacular. To be to be quite frank, it it it's the best episode of the series so far, and in my opinion, it featured the two best bits of dialogue spoken by any Star Wars character in any Star Wars franchise to date. That's the OT. That's the PT. That's the ST. The Mando. The book. You name it. And I can't wait till you say Kino- this because I can't think of any lines that were memorable. <laughs> <laughs> Kino's speech to rally the uh, prisoners, the one way out speech to get him going was one. And then Luthen's monologue is, is the primo monologue dialogue in all of Star Wars. And don't worry, I am going to do my own performance of Luthen's speech. So just stand by for that. Um, th- those two moments to me, Nick, were just like, oh, my God. I mean, if you just sit there and listen to what Luthen said which I think it's time for me to go ahead and just perform the entire speech because... I mean, it's a, it's like uh, a long... Not, I gave up I'll, more I'll than save you it. did. <laughs> I'll, 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 actually, I'll save it for our top moments. But those two moments there just, I thought, were phenomenal and showcased how this is a series that has the best writing I've ever heard in Star Wars. I mean, if you just break down 
Luthan's speech line by line. It is Shakespearean poetry, okay? I'll get there and I'll do my performance. I'm not quite ready yet. I'm not, not warmed up enough. My, my voice needs to uh, get a little more practice. Maybe some <laughs> hot oatmeal or something like that. Um, and, the, and the one way out, man, I, I, I felt that scene, especially on a rewatch, just hits. Uh, because you know what's coming. You know the can't swim moment is coming. And, you, and you're watching this guy. And really, I think the scene showed that Cassian has learned that he can be a leader. You understand, Cassian was the true leader of that breakout, okay? It was not Kino. Cassian was the one that was always pushing Kino, like, do it. Even when he was like, you have to do the speech. You can do better than that. This is Cassian realizing that he has the ability and the power to motivate people, which is a huge character moment for this guy that ends up motivating enough people to go on a suicide mission to steal the Death Star plans and essentially save the galaxy from the Empire. So I, I, there was a lot to unpack in that scene. Um, I also found the musical score for these two particular moments to be ideal, especially the one way out speech. I've always been someone in Star Wars where if the music and the action on the screen are perfectly blended, it can turn on my emotions. And the second time I watched the one way out uh, speech and then the subsequent fallout from that, Kino's sacrifice, which we can now say is very similar to Luthen's sacrifice. Just like Luthen, Kino was someone that was willing to give it all, knowing that he was not going to see the sunrise. What, what Kino was doing was doing what he had to do to try to save people so they could see the next sunrise. I, I, don't know, I just thought it was beautiful in the whole can't swim revelation it just it hits on a on the second rewatch so this so, basically confirms that he's fucking snoke now right because he's stuck there he didn't even jump no off. no we're not going we're not he is we're not going down that snoke. path all right we're not Take going down that bank. path but 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 tony nick you're you're not too far <laughs> off but tony had some things to say about kino loy so i i'm not putting clickbait into this week's episode title Kino, Kino Loy's fate is still up in the air. It is undecided, according to Lord Gilroy. And we should all know better, according to the rules of TV and film. If you do not see a character dead, like dead, dead, torn to pieces or put in the ground, they're never gone. No one's ever really gone. Right, Nick? Right. Luke Skywalker taught us this. He's, okay? he's, he's even got the same voice as Snoke. He didn't even change his voice. <laughs> For a guy, for yeah. like literally One for a guy, out. for a guy who can morph his voice to literally be an animal's voice, you don't think that he would say like, I'm going to be in Star Wars as myself. Like maybe let's throw on a different voice than I used when I was playing the one other guy that I played in Star Wars. <laughs> it's the same guy. He's Snow. Take Attack! it to the bank. He even, he even attacks like Caesar. He was kind of running like an ape when he did the attack in the, in the, the, first, the first sequence of, of the prison breakout. So I don't know, man. I, I, I thought episode 10 was just a, an absolute banger. It paid off, as Nick said, on, on the setup. And, and to me, it was, it was the, the, the best of the season so far. Yeah. It just, yeah. I don't know. It had those feels to it. it just, the score was perfect. The acting was, again, perfect. The writing was perfect. And it, it, get, it moved us along. It, it, that's the best part about Andor, at least for those people that have the patience to just wait for everything to develop. 
once again, we didn't get everything, but we have moved the goalposts. We all of our our narratives have been progressed for the most part. I know uh, everyone's favorite creepy man was not featured in this episode, but don't worry, he's he's up to his his deal. And and honestly, based on some things Tony is saying, I may have some new speculations for Mister Karn once we get to that part of the show. Um. So, uh, yeah, let, let's get into the top moments of One Way Out. I had, I had five of them. Nick, feel free to step in if, I, if there was one that, that I did not mention. But I'm really, I'm, I'm going to start with the opening scene where we, we pick up immediately after episode nine's ending. They're kind of back in that holding area, getting changed, getting ready to go back in their barracks. And I, this is... I, to most people, these are probably throwaway scenes, but I love this type of shit where you can see Kino. I mean, he's kind of freaking out like he his world just exploded in his face because he was the one holding out like, hey, I'm getting out in 200 days or some shit where Cassian's like, listen, man, how many guards, how many guards, how many guards? And they're having this talk. And this is where Cassian gives him the line that he then regurgitates in his one-way-out speech, which, by the way, is the same line Luthan used on Cassian in episode four, where he's essentially like, hey, man, do you want to fuck around and at least try to take these guys out trying to do good, or are you just going to be a piece of shit? And, and you, could, you could see Kino struggling with his new reality and not really knowing what to do. And where this scene culminates for me is when they make it back to the barracks and everyone's like, come on, what's going on? What's going on? And Cassian tells them the truth. And they're like, bullshit. And Kino, finally, you can tell, he, he kind of has that, that break, that realization. And he just goes, no one is getting out. So Kino got the message finally. That's why I like those opening scenes. Just, just kind of seeing circus physically contort his body and face to bring those emotions that Kino would have been experiencing at that moment was just top notch. Yeah, I agree. Right, I agree. Right. That's it. That was a good one. I mean, um, just I, look I at think... some of the faces this man put on in these scenes. I mean, he, he, Andy circus had to go home at the end of these shoots and either drink a lot of beer, smoke dope, or just pass out. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how you kind of get yourself in these negative head spaces to bring on these emotions, you know, getting yourself to cry. But I bet Andy went to some dark places to execute uh, episode 10. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was definitely the star of this episode. And I think that, like, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like, he's he's been the the biggest kind of star of this show so far even though he's only been in this arc like yeah i'm with you circles around diego in this in this episode in particular like crazy like he is it it almost shows to me that like people always talk about like there's just different levels to the game like whatever you do like there's different levels and andy is just on a different level than everybody else in this show the only one that would be even remotely close to him is probably Stellan, but we'll never get to see these two act next to each other, um, at least in this show. Oh, my God. That that would be a scene. There's no doubt about it. Because you're right. I mean, I, I, I think both of these men deserve an Emmy if, if there's an award for... I mean, I don't know what how Andy would what, what, what guest star maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it would be like uh, guest star it? performance, but yeah, yeah, Andy should win something for this. And, and Nick, do you think... 
he's so fucking good because of all the time he spent bringing digital characters to life, especially with the physical performance he can put on with his face. I mean, just how he would scrunch up his face. You could, he felt tortured. You could feel the pain of Kino Loy through Andy Serkis's physical performance. Yeah, no, I, I do think that that has a lot to do with it because he has to like, he's had to embody so many different types of characters. He's had to embody sentient apes. He's had to embody, right. you know, uh, Gollum, who is just like a, a hobbit, a completely like a wrecked 600 hobbit. year old hobbit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Snoke, this, this, this huge character that from the sequel to like literally like huge, like he's very tall. Um, you know, so many different things that he's done in his career and so many different, not, not just like a normal actor where it's like, well, I have to like change my demeanor. Like he has to change his, how his entire body acts yeah. when he, when he, Takes a I mean, dude, role. wasn't he was he played King fucking Kong in Peter Jackson's Kong? Oh, I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> he he really what a gem. I mean, what a gem. And it really was. I, I remember it was at episode eight where he just kind of appeared on screen. It's like, whoa, that's a, that's a surprise. And it turned out to be a, an excellent surprise because Andy via Kino Loy. Uh, for just a character we got to know over three episodes, I, I think Kino Loy is going to become a a fan favorite if not already a huge fan favorite i mean yeah. I, I could see them making shirts like they did for the lord of the rings it said frodo lives you know when he goes off to the gray heavens frodo lives kino lives or kino loy lives loy lives something like that <laughs> trademark it let's go let's go mm-hmm. i want my money pay me <laughs> all right so fucking andy circus what a pimp Top moment number two, I have to put it at the Unit 52D initial escape where you kind of see all the men getting their their little, their parts of the plan in order. Again, feeding off of Andy Serkis' performance. He he just felt super tense because you remember Kino hadn't been involved in any of the planning. That, that's been Cassian and everyone else. Kino came in at the last hour. Like oh, yeah. he was the last piece of Cassian's puzzle to kick this bitch off. And that's why Cassian was so persistent in that opening top moment where he's like, dude, you know as well as I do, we are never going to have a better chance because now that they've nuked that floor, they're going to bring in all sorts of fucking guards and this place is going to get locked down and we are going nowhere. So Kino knew nothing. He knew nothing. And, and you could feel that in the in that opening uh kind of escape where he's a little bit more on edge than everyone else because he's he's new to the plan i mean you gotta think they only explained it to him that night after he yelled no one is getting out so you know nick we were talking or at least i felt episodes eight and nine lacked the tension that andor had woven into its previous episodes that was back in full force in this episode the, uh, yeah. because of scenes like this. I mean, I can remember the initial escape where they're looking, they're getting ready for their timing. Cassian's beating on the pipes to get the water going. And I'm sitting there and I already have restless leg syndrome. And I was like, blah, 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 like my leg was going up and down like a helicopter prop. I was about ready to start floating around the basement. <laughs> but it just, I, I felt nervous even knowing that I knew Cassian of all people was going to make it out. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a brilliant point that Gilroy has kind of shit on some critics who are like, hey, what's the point? We're, there's no stakes. We already know is is ending. He's like, do you have stakes in your own life, dummies? Because you know you're dying too, right? And that's a pretty fucking valid point. 
So there are still stakes in this show for a character that we know is fate. And, and we are living through them episode by episode because of the great writing, the great pacing, and the, the slow burn, which I'm still digging. You know why I like the slow burn, Nick? Is because after an episode like 10, knowing that we're going into the finale duo, I'm amped. Like, I am excited to get up tomorrow and watch some fucking Star Wars. And that is a great feeling to have for idiots like me that get up at 4.35 in the morning to watch new Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was definitely like, I feel like if this episode wouldn't have been as good as it is, then the show would have been in trouble of like losing a lot of the momentum that it had built through the other arcs. Because this one, until this episode was kind of getting a little oh yeah dude think like, things were pittering things were pittering yeah. for me like eight and nine i was like hey man we're i'm not feeling anxious it's just like all right cool i'm not upset but i wasn't feeling that anxiety you know like that we experienced in four five six and a bit in seven when you know neomos all that type of stuff so uh, the, the the initial scape was just great watching the men you know sacrifice themselves for each other uh, you, you know, you saw some of his table mates go down very early. That the red hair guy gets blasted. Uh, the attack charge. It was just. It was all very exciting and very prison break ish, but kind of a new feel for a prison break. And doing some readings like that's something Gilroy and his writers really wanted to ensure happened. They want. They wanted us to feel like this was a. A, a, a new approach to a a prison and b a prison break type of show. And, and I feel like they, they nailed it with the unique prison, the, the electric floor, all that type of shit, the, the low amount of guards. And just I think also, Nick, it showed once again how fucking arrogant the Empire was up until Aldhani and now, you know, the PROD to crack down on shit. Like they, they, they were running a prison with 5,000 prisoners with only, what, maybe 75 total guards to man all five floors. I mean, it, it was wild. They, they're just like, hey, fuck, who cares? We're the Empire. Yeah. We'll yeah. fry you. We'll fry you if you get out of we'll line. We'll just kill everybody. Um, so it was fun. I mean, all that shit, just watching the guards shit the bed and, you know, just, just great stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, top moment number three, I already kind of teased this, but I, I, I really got jacked from the Kino speech to motivate the troops. The, 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 the whole scene, you know, coming in, finally finding out who the voice of God was, getting on that panel, kind of seeming nervous and unsure of himself till Cassian's like, come on, man, you, you have to be the one to do this. This is your destiny. My destiny lays, lays beyond these walls. And the second time, both times I watched it, first time I watched it, no fucking joke, when he starts doing the one way out, my fist went up on its own. It was an uncontrolled reaction. I just started fucking pumping my fists. And like I said, if it wasn't so goddamn early in the morning, I would have ran outside of my house, up the basement steps, out the garage, yelling one way out until I found someone's shitty kid pool to jump into. <laughs> that shit pumped me up. I loved it. It was like... And that was before you knew the tragic end to it. Like, here's Kino giving his all, killing this speech, motivating these motherfuckers. One way out. One way out. 
And then as he's running and everything looks like, hey, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. Cassian's at the edge. And he's like with Malshi, like, all right, they're all happy. And they look back at Kino and he's got this this ghostly look on his face. Like he just saw a ghost. And you're like, "Uh oh, he can't swim. He can't fucking swim. Kino's going to die after throwing it all down, sacrificing himself, motivating the prisoners to get out. And as I said earlier, paired with the, the music, it's just one of those Star Wars moments now that I think is going to resonate with me, just like Return of the Jedi with uh, the battle between Luke and Vader. The Force Awakens, when Rey reaches for the lightsaber in the snow fight. I have defined Star Wars moments that always hit me, and I think the Kino speech is going to be one. I, I just, I, I loved it. I, I know you didn't, you didn't quite feel the, the, emotion, the emotional... Uh, kind of or, or, or the emotional effect that I did but I, I it, was just, it was just another great performance by Andy and just the whole moment the scene and what it meant for Andor I don't know I thought it was beautifully motivating how's that yeah yeah I mean I I definitely get it um my question is like did they not know that they were in the middle of the ocean no if you could see Nick there there was land masses uh, on the sides of the of those prisons so the swim and and you kind of called this last week you're like are, are we gonna get some sort of like alcatraz deal and and sure as shit we, we pretty much did <laughs> because they they are in a, they are in the middle of a body of water and the only escape was to jump and swim and uh all we know is that melch and cassian made it to land but if you were if you watch that scene closely if you look behind it you could see they already had patrol ships out there scanning the, the water and, and surrounding land masses to scoop up the prisoners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I just didn't know, like, it. I guess that nobody knew that they were in, like, an ocean or surrounded by water or something like that because... Well, they, they had to because they came in that way, right? I mean, if you but remember the beginning... that's what I was saying is, like, how does... Like, why is fucking Kino so surprised? Like he gets all the way to the end and he's like, oh, there's water. I can't swim. It's like, dude, you've been in the middle of the ocean since you fucking got here. What did you think there was yeah, going to be? A ship to I, take you I, away? I kind of I get that. But I, I think it was, I, I guess you could look at his reaction two ways. It, one could be surprise and one could be like, well, I knew this was my reality. And now it, it actually is smacking me and watching all these dudes potentially get their freedom. It, it's kind of jarring. Uh, to 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 realize like hey i i committed i sacrificed and i knew i wasn't gonna make it out but fuck does it suck <laughs> so yeah, uh, maybe, but hey, yeah maybe is so. he is he dead i don't know i i kind of went into the with it knowing because he even says very uh, very beginning of the shift like He's pretty much like, I don't know how you guys are gonna deal with this mentally, but I am going into this already thinking I'm dead. And that was right before they went out on the floor to enact the plan. So, you know, maybe he knew all along that th that was it for him. Yeah, he was. He just could only get, get so far as as the exit. But uh, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, it is. It, but I, I it just when I watched it again with Heather, th this is the first episode I felt the need to watch Wednesday night. I usually give myself a few days after I do my intense note-taking viewing of an Andor episode, but this one, I was like, I, I gotta watch it tonight, and we watched it. When I when we got to the One Way Out speech again, just on cue, 
a single tear dripped out of my right eye for Kino Loy. I just it just fucking hit me. I don't know why. And I think it's 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 Andy in the way he performed that character, that scene, and then just the one way out. Everything looks like yeah, they fucking did it, and they're getting there. And just when they're gonna get their payoff, he's like fuck. And and you kind of feel that as a fan. So beautiful yeah. shit. Don't worry, he'll be back in sixty years. He's gonna be super tall. He'll have some <laughs> fucked up face, but he'll be back. It is it is funny that they would they would fuck around with that. Yeah. Like not make Kino's fate ultimate and final. Because you know, I know you're just fucking around, but dude, it started when when Andy Circus showed up. Oh there Snoke, there's gonna be a snow connection. I'm just like how like it's just there is literally no connection here at now all they, it, it would now make, they definitely it would make zero sense because this motherfucker is sitting on like he didn't jump in he's just sitting on this fucking <laughs> facility and what do you think that the empire is not going to go back there and just like try to reopen i, I know but shit? but like, again like like if we're, if we're trying to be serious about this why this guy? I mean, he's oh. a fucking, he was a prisoner. Like, he's not tall. He doesn't have the force, nothing. Because so why he, why does he become the obsession of the emperor? He <laughs> is the one who led the, as far uh, as, as they can tell, like, he was the leader of the floor. He's the one who uh, led the uprising. And he's the, like, and now uh, he's just there free. Nobody's ever going to look for this motherfucker again because they're going to assume that he's uh. dead. After this breakout. So that's all you need to, to become supreme leader. So now, just a prison, prison breakout attempt. So uh, now the, <laughs> he's just free for experimentation. You take him and you just <laughs> fuck with him and you do anything that you want yeah, to. Well, <laughs> he does get pretty contorted and fucked up, right? I mean, his yeah. face gets twisty. He's got holes in his neck. Oh, so yeah. I don't know. But there's just there's no fucking way. A, it's Lord Gilroy, and Lord Gilroy would never. He doesn't know half the shit that's like in that. his show from his own fucking admission. <laughs> Like for somebody you who's know all about controlling his fucking show, he couldn't tell you half the pe- like half the people or shit that's in it. So <laughs> it is when we get to that. Hopefully, I remember. But I want to I want to ask like, okay, I, I could see how an art department could sneak props in because Tony isn't going to worry about that type no, of shit. No. Like, who, who gives a fuck? But we've still had dialogue with like some deep cut shit, like yeah. all that Radican yeah. stuff. Like who, who got that stuff in there? I know he always, I don't want to talk about it. We'll get there, but he, he always throws in a passive aggressive dig at Pablo of the, of yeah, the story group or whatever. I love it. He's like, yeah, we got yeah, the fucking Pablo idiot. <laughs> look at, <laughs> look at some stuff to make sure we're not fucking things up. But man, if you're on the live stream, just look at Circus's face on One Way Out. Look at that. You believe him. You believe that guy is Kino Loy, and he is committed to that speech and self-sacrifice. Wonderful stuff. By the way, if you want to join in the live stream, I know this Tuesday was a little wonky, but usually Tuesdays, 2.30 p.e. YouTube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. And then we record it and put it out on the podcast platforms the following day on Wednesdays. Okay. Uh, yeah, I took a lot of screenshots of the one way out. You could tell I was. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, you. Was, you got a lot of that. <laughs> that shit moved. Me. I don't know. It just fucking moved me, man. I. It's like I. I even kind of clickbaited the the title here. It's like these are. I called them monologues. I know Kino's was kind of more of a speech, but I think you could technically call it a monologue. Uh, but Luthen's definitely was, and and they really were the the, the best writing I've ever heard. So that that's gonna lead us into. There he is. I can't swim. Damn, that hits. All right, so the last top moment here. 
And to me, like I said, the the greatest spoken dialogue monologue in all of Star Wars. I mean, this the way Stellan delivered this award worthy again. Both of these men deserve Emmys. I don't give them the fucking EGOT for this. Right. Give them an Emmy. Give them a Grammy. Give them an Oscar. Give them a Tony. They deserve everything for this performance. But I, I don't know how anyone coming out of Andor 10 couldn't have been moved by Luthen's conversation with Jung. So first off, Nick, just the conversation. I love the tone of it and how fucking cold Luthen is to this guy. Like, listen, dickhead, you know, you're we've invested into you. We're watching you. You're not getting out of this. We know you have a family. We know you have a kid now. So shut the fuck up and get on program, essentially. It just you, you could see how cold and ruthless Luthen is early on. And I think that's why his speech then hits, because you he explains to Lonnie, like, listen, pal, I'm the way I am now because of the sacrifice I have given up and have been working towards for the past 15 years. I also liked getting that bit of information. That Luthen has been building this for 15 years, which technically should be right around Order 66 in the fall of the Republic. It's pretty much like it wouldn't surprise me if he was like involved immediately with the like the group of senators who like even before Order 66 was executed, like the group of senators who were like, hey, this overreach of power is out of line and we have you know, umbrage with it. So I would, I would assume that like he was already there. Like he was there from day one. Yeah. So that, I mean, that helps, but it it just, this, that monologue and and learning he's been doing this for 15 years, it it solidifies that this is the guy. I mean, Luthen Rael is the guy. Yeah. He is at this point, it's guaranteed. He is the grandfather of the rebel Alliance and what it becomes. And that that's why the monologue is it's it's so beautiful, because in 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 a minute or two, he explains to us and the world of Star Wars what it means to be a rebel and and what you have to give up if you're truly committed to being a freedom fighter and taking down a uh, tyrannical government, a fascist government. And uh, I mean, his words have meaning beyond just the rebel alliance and star wars any freedom fighter throughout history could have delivered this speech and it would resonate because this is what it takes to topple darkness and horrific regimes and that's why i'm gonna read the whole fucking thing okay i i I actually had i've had this the the graphic you're gonna see here on the live stream it's been passed around on social media. Our boy Tones put it in our Discord. I've sent this to my buddy, uh, the the guy that wants to have sex with Jar Jar Binks. Mm-hmm. And he's going to laser etch it into wood for me so I can hang it up. Like, that's how nice. much I appreciate this, this monologue. So uh, I, I think two lines in particular just stand out as the icing on the cake. And, and, and they, they summarize what it means to be a, a rebel. A rebel leader, in fact, and, and that's the, you know, the 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 sunless space, and then the the uh, burning your life to make a sunrise. He'll know, he'll never see. I mean, come on, 
You've never heard that shit in Star Wars before. So here we go. Here's the speech. Remember, this happens after little boy Lonnie's all upset that, you know, he spent six years working his way up the ISB as a rebel spy and now has a family and feels like he's done enough and should be allowed to get out. And he asks Luthen, what have you and what do you sacrifice? Okay, so here's Luthen's reply. Calm, kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight, they set me on a path from which there is no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I look down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. No, the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything. I mean, that is art, okay? Like I said earlier, that is Shakespearean level poetry in a fucking Star Wars show. Which at this point, as Nick said, isn't really a Star Wars show. It's a, it's a serious drama parading around as a Star Wars show. Sometimes it parades around as a Star Wars show. <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, dude, just... Just read that. Just read that. Oh, no, that, that, I, that, I heard it. It's a good monologue. speech. It is. It's, it's great. Absolutely. It's a great speech. But like I said, the, the, the line here, calm, kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. When I heard that line, I was like, oh, my God. What a fantastically descriptive way to describe what it must feel like to be a freedom fighter like Luthen Rael. And think about think about that in the real world. You know, the, 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 these people in, in, in Russia or the Middle East that are, are, are trying to fight the good fight. That, this, is, this is them. This is what they live. Yeah. Knowing that they're probably going to die just so their, their kids or future generations will have a better life. That's some heavy shit. You don't, you don't get that type of heaviness in Star Wars. And, and that's why it's like, there you go. Give the guy a fucking trophy. Yeah, give I mean, him a trophy. Him and uh, him and Andy. I mean, like they they have really made the show. I mean, I know the show is named after uh, Diego's character, um, but they're really the stars of this show to me so 100%. far. Luthen, Luthen, more specifically, because Luthen like is a character that for the entire history of Star Wars we had no clue about. Um, and obviously there's no way we could know about him cause he wasn't created until fucking, you know, a year ago when Tony started writing this shit. Um, but he turns out to be not only the, the grandfather of the rebellion, but one of the best, uh, characters in the entire, uh, saga so far. So, um, just, it is really awesome to see that character, be something that we've never seen before because Mon Mothma, yeah. while she was always there uh, from the OT, even, you know, going back to the prequel trilogy and stuff like that, she was there and she played her role and stuff like that. But we like 
we never knew if like was she the progenitor or was she just somebody right. who took the mantle up it, and i feel like now and she was never really boots on the ground like if you think it, about it, it mon is sacrificing a fucking ton don't don't get me wrong yeah but she she hasn't nearly sacrificed what luthan has no, at this point close it's not even close i mean she still has a family for fuck's sake i mean if you listen to him, he, he essentially is like, I, I destroyed my life for this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he I've did. made myself, I, I was a decent person. I've made myself a, a, a piece of shit for this. I do horrific things for this. I'm a bad person. I mean, he, he's telling Lonnie, like, Lonnie, you're not wrong. I am a bad man and I'm making you do horrible things, but look what it's cost me. Yeah. So shut the fuck up. Get back in the elevator, go to your posh ISB apartment, and keep fighting the good fight. You little bitch! <laughs> Whew! All right. Just fantastic stuff. Like I said, I mean, I, I could probably watch that scene on loop. It just, it, for some reason, it just resonated with me. It was like, wow. We can, we can do this in Star Wars? Like, we can have this level of, of writing and performance in a Star Wars? Because... It's never, it's never been prevalent. Where have you heard or have seen performances like this? Yeah. And no, I love I mean, my Star Wars and I love my Star Wars cast, but you've never seen this shit before. No, I mean, not in a Star Wars show for sure. I mean, you know, there are other dramas and, you know, shows out there that, that have moments like this and, and stuff. So, uh, but this is definitely the first time that we've seen this level or this type of uh, dramatic, you know, line yeah. readings and speeches done in a star Wars show before for sure. Um, I guess while we're talking about Luthen in my thoughts section, I did write a note. Uh, Luthen, I, I guess what, what was your take on this when When Lonnie gives him the info on Dedra and he's like, well, you know, if I can do anything about it and Luthen's like, eh, whatever. Miro's got nothing. Just keep, keep letting her go down that Ferrex path. Is that him bluffing to keep Lonnie confident or do you think there's a reason Luthen doesn't care about uh Miro and in, in her search for him and Cassian on Ferrix? Well ultimately he knows that like he's gonna get caught. Like he knows that. Like there's no way that he doesn't get caught. Like in in the fact that they're on to him just means that like if somebody were to try to turn them off of him, it would just be more suspicious. So like in a way, he's like, in my opinion, he's trying to protect Lonnie. He's like, look, if you go in oh, there. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. Like if you go in there and it was the same thing with the Krieger, like with the pilot thing. He's like, if you turn them off of this, they're going to know something's up. Or if I turn Krieger onto it and they, they and they don't do anything, they're going to know something's up. And it's the same thing for him. Like if you if Lonnie tries to do whatever Lonnie can do, which isn't much because he isn't looked at as highly well, as yeah. As Lonnie Miro's. wanted to save Krieger essentially. Yeah. But like if Lonnie goes in there and tries to start putting them off of, uh, of Luthen's trail, then it's just going to make him look more suspicious. They're going to lose the one contact that they have in the ISB. And ultimately when you think about it, having the contact in the ISB that's feeding them information whether it be Luthen or whoever else comes after Luthen, obviously we know that's Mon, is more important than Luthen himself. Like, well, uh, no, I mean, Luthen makes that point. I mean, he, I'm summarizing here, but he, he says the line, like, you're more valuable than 50 men. Yeah. So, like, he's like, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to 
kill 50 men because of your value and your position. And and it sounds like Luthen has spent the most time and effort in in investing in Lonnie to be this spy than anything else. Like he's like, listen, we I'm gonna let these guys die because we have to maintain your cover. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's kind of the same way that he looks at himself too, because if, if he tries to do something and they lose their ISB contact, not only do you lose Lonnie, but then they're definitely moving on Luthen because as soon oh, yeah. as, yeah, as they'll, they'll as, figure that out. Yeah. Like it's easy. Boom. So if, if, if he says anything, they're both dead. If he doesn't say anything, probably only one of them's dead. And that one person is probably Luthen. Um, but the, but the rebellion is bigger than one person and the rebellion will live on beyond Luthen as we know. Um, so I think that's kind of what he was getting at is like, look, man, you may want to be this, you know, or like you want to, I can see that you want to try to stop the bad thing from happening, but the bad thing needs to happen. It needs to happen for things to keep progressing and the I've, way that they should. I've learned from Lord Gilroy that this is a thing. It's called accelerationism. It's an actual thing in rebellions where uh, you do want the bad guys to get worse because yeah. it's going to accelerate action to fight back. Uh, and that's yeah. exactly yeah. what Luthen is an accelerationist where Mon Mothma is not. Yeah, I mean... Uh, all right, check it. We, we were getting some good stuff here in the chat. We don't want to leave them alone since they do show up here. Uh, what, what's your thought on this from Kevin? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of digging this. Kevin's saying, I think Luthen is, is a foreshadowing of Mothma's future, and I agree. I think uh, Mothma is going to lose her family, her public standing, her family legacy, wealth, so on and so forth, as she moves into her prominent role that we know she takes on here a few years down the road. No. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree that, that Mothma, there's no way out for Mothma at this point. Like you've gone yeah. too far down the rabbit hole. I don't think she really gives a fuck whether Perrin is around or not. I feel like that uh, is I, just I agree. Like a, like a pure I, I agree. thing. Yeah. She definitely cares about her daughter, which is why she had such a visceral reaction to that, uh, you know, the the proposition that that Davo gave her. Um, do I think she cares about her money and station? No. Um, but I think that for her, what's most important is her family, a.k.a. her child. Like she if Perrin got shot in the head right in front of her, she'd probably be like, you know what? probably better for me overall if yeah he's i mean not she, she would feign something she'd be like oh you know just just oh, like yeah, a natural like, reaction yeah but then like off screen you'd see her literally dragging his dead body and drop dropping him into like an incinerator and being like see you yeah. later you piece of shit yeah and your crappy haircut so I, I do agree that this is a foreshadowing of what is to come for mon in the future um but i don't think that like it's going to be like, I don't think that she's going to be like surprised by it or be like, Oh my God, I gave up my life. Like she, I don't yeah, think I, that she'll be at it's that not, level. It's not, to me, it's not on the same level uh, as sacrifice as Luthen. No. But it is, it, she, she is going to have to suffer a bit and, and then give also, up. And with, with Mon, Mon is going to take over pretty close to a period of open rebellion. So it's not oh, like yeah, full on open rebellion. Yeah. So it's not like Luthen where like 
he has like every move that he has to make is calculated because if he steps wrong one time, somebody's going to fucking find his ass. Like once Mon takes over and the rebellion is open and there is active recruitment for like people to join the rebellion, there's strikes happening. There's everything right. happening. Like people like the empire will know that Mon Mothma is the figurehead of the fucking rebellion. It, it, that that's what I was so that's they, what I was just about to say. Yeah. Is like in the end, Mothma still was mostly a a figurehead. She was your traditional leader. People that you know, someone that people could rally around, even though they're not really the strategist or the boots on the ground type. Where Luthen was all that. He's not so much someone to rally around because he has to maintain his secrecy. But, but he's the one that has gone out on the limb all these years and recruited people and built up the network, built up the communication so they could all talk to each other. And eventually, once they transition out of being individual cells into an alliance, it's his groundwork that enabled that, not Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma is a key asset to his plan, but that's more from the, the political and monetary side versus the getting down in the trenches and, and, and really sacrificing your, your life on a day-to-day basis to get a rebellion going. So they're, they're both obviously very key figures to what the Rebel Alliance becomes. Uh, but without Luthen now, we can say Mon doesn't ascend to the, the station we meet her or we first met her at in Return of the Jedi. I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. He, he is giving her the Rebel Alliance on a platter for her to lead. And I think that's his plan. He knows... She's a leader first and foremost, not someone that's going to get get dirty and, and plot murders and assassinations and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like he's doing the heavy lifting, so she has an easier job later. And he knows that. Like, I don't think that that Luthen has any sort of like. He doesn't have any delusion about what his role is here or what's going to happen to him. He's Correct. Just that, that was to the buy- speech. I mean, his, yeah. his speech was saying, I know I'm a dead man, but that's okay. I've, I've come to terms with that. That's so you all, you assholes can have a better life. Yeah. Than and he like right now, he's just trying to buy more time. Like, he's just like, how much longer can I go in this position that I'm at? And how much more can I get done before they find me? And it, 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 nothing is about like, I have to make sure they don't find me. They're going to find me. They're going to kill oh, me. Yeah. yeah and, I think, uh, I think he knew once Aldani went off success or not that his his time was up yeah uh he, he's he's a he's a dead man walking at this point in time all right so some other comments here i i hey i've been saying it for weeks that that lida or lead how the fuck do you say her name i don't again? know is it lida lida who I gives think it a might shit, be right? lida but she she's a shithead anyways but i i've been saying for weeks now that i i think she is gonna be kind of the linchpin to the the mothma family fallout uh, either mothma is going to take that step and and try the betrothal and burn the bridge that way or lyda is going to get wise to her plan with tay or to marry her to davos's kid and she's going to run to her dad and kind of start problems this way uh, but yeah i mean mothma i think her loss ultimately will be the relationship with her daughter either through uh, death or separation yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's going to be interesting is this character, the Lida character, 
and as we've said for every other character in the show, like we never see them again and we're never going to see them again more than likely. And, you know, obviously until season two, but like whatever happens with her isn't going to be like something that reverberates, you know, I don't like, cause you would imagine that. I mean, maybe not because we don't ever really hear anything about Mon Mothma in the other movies. Anyway, they, they were just like, well, she's Mon Mothma and she's the leader of the rebellion. Whatever, yeah. I mean, whatever, honestly, so. dude, her, her backstory is pretty wide open. So, yeah, so they, I mean, they, they could, they, they can could. craft whatever they want. Yeah. They could slide I, I, some I, stuff I, in I, there about her. I just have a feeling Lida is going to do something, say something, do something that that's going to make things a little itchier for Mon Mothma at home. I mean, we're, she's already committed to to the circle and the cause, so we we know she's she's here for the the, the rebellion. But w- what is going to I don't know maybe push her over the edge? And I, and I at this point I think it's really just the loss of her relationship with her daughter because her husband is that's a lost cause. They, oh yeah, like she it's, it's been a loveless marriage. It was a bonded marriage. They they were married at fifteen or sixteen. Uh, that's just the Chandrilla style. So. I, I'm in agreement with those in the in the live stream chat and Nick that the, the Perrin could be gutted in front of her and outside of just being a lady and seeing the mess, I don't think she would give a fuck. No, yeah, she she doesn't care about Perrin. Like Perrin is there because she needs to maintain the visage of right. you know what she is. And if something were to happen there, even if it would be like an amicable you know, divorce or whatever, which obviously probably can't happen due to Shangerlin tradition and law. But like, even if it was just a divorce, it would put more eyes on her. So basically the last thing she wants is anything interesting to happen to her or people around her. Yeah. 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 That's what I've been, that's what I've been getting at. I think something familiar is going to happen where people are going to be like, well, that's going on at the Mothma residence. Like, oh wow, let's or, I or, what's yeah. going on over there. And then people yeah, start looking Lida at her. said and, this. Yeah. Mon's Mon's trying to get this happen. Mon talked to this Davos character. Ooh, what's up? So yeah, I think that's how she's gonna get the heat turned up on her. Where obviously Luthen already has the heat turned up on him. Just a, it's two different heats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two di- two, <laughs> two different, different burners on the stove. You know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. Okay, uh, so moving on with our, our breakdown here of episode 10, and uh, I, I love an episode like this where I literally have to uh, rely on Easter eggs that have popped up in other episodes just to formulate some content, uh, but episode 10 of Andor really lacked in references and Easter eggs, but there were two, and one was kind of cool if, if you were paying attention. Uh, the first one was quite clear. It came from Luthen's Antiquity Shop, where pretty much any other Easter egg from this series came in. And yes, I know that this this uh, head dress was on display in previous episodes, but this was the best Shout presentation we got. So I ran with it. And the one we're talking about is Padme's crazy ass, like bronze looking headdress that she wore in Attack of the Clones as her and Anakin arrived on Naboo. Yeah. Uh, so that was pretty neat. What and then if the second, that's, do you think that that's actually hers or is that just like a, do you think they like make those at a store and they're just like, Oh, they're here. Or is that yeah, the one funny. from Padme? We're, I'm going to go with that's Padme's because yeah. it would, it would make sense to have that in an antiquity shop, you know, like, Hey, this was, this was the queen of, or the former queen in the booze, Padme yeah. Amidala, who was a Senator. So, 
Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, Luthen's running a, a Walmart or a Target or something where he just gets gen, general uh, Yeah, I, I hope we find out later that all his shit is knockoff. <laughs> right, yeah. Make like, it look good. Yeah, he, he's in leagues with, with uh, Tika the Jawa on Tatooine <laughs> to get boot, bootleg material to sell at his antiquities den. Yeah, <laughs> man, right. come on. You don't have that yeah. kind of money. You can't be it buying happens, all this man. shit. <laughs> There's knockoffs everywhere, so why not in Star Wars? I like it. All right, and then really the, the the next big one here, if you like I said, if you're paying attention during the excellent one way out speech, if you looked at the security console that Kino was speaking into, it's the same style that Han used in A New Hope when he was having a boring conversation yeah. with Death Star security, the one he shoots up after he realizes, oh shit, I said too much. Boring conversation. Now they're coming yeah. after us. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's it. That, I mean, yeah, that was it for the references and eggs. I mean, they're, they're getting pretty far and, and few between or few and far between, I believe, is the way you're supposed to say that, uh, which is OK for a guy like myself. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that type of shit. It gives me more time to think about and write my review when we get these quick hitters. But yeah. um, I think that that was a cool nod. I mean, they re, they rebuilt the console perfectly. Uh, you even got they even had a, a shot that kind of resembled Han's moment from A New Hope. So yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That is that for um, yeah, Gus Kenobi in here. I did mention in one of my breakdowns that the prisoner outfits were rebel style colors. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, that was in one of the previous. I think that might have been in like the first episode. I don't know. May, maybe Nick from... knows. Do Do you know why the Rebel Alliance settled on orange and white for their kit? Yeah, they looked back in history at this planet called Earth, and they were like, they used to put all of their prisoners in orange jumpsuits, right, so we got right. to match the color scheme. I have no fucking I, idea. All I can think is that in George's mind, uh, you know, the, the Empire was very sterilized yeah. and clean looking, where the rebels were, you know, more ragtag and erratic, and so they, yeah. they, they get more of the color infused into their... Their kits and really their their um, vehicles and, and say ships weapons and of vehicles war. and everything else. I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, orange has always been like even you can even look at like the rebel flight suits. Rebel flight suits are orange. The colors on yeah. their X wings are orange. But like even when we were looking at like uh, even in the beginning, I think the first episode when they showed the separatist ship that landed on Canari, uh, the the insignia on. Their um, on their clothing was orange too, so I'm not sure if like that has something to do with it. Yeah, like hey, maybe. I, I don't I don't stutter study or stutter. I do I do plenty of that. I don't study color theory. Is what I was trying to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I don't know. Maybe maybe orange <laughs> represents hope. Something like well, that. Orange Who is supposed. Knows? I mean, like at least by what it's we a power have, color. It feels like yeah, it's right? a it's a color of it's supposed to be like a color of creativity or something like that. Well, That's fuck that. We can't we can't have creative yeah. freedom fighters. We need yeah. murderers and assassins. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, dude. Before we move into our next topic, what what happens in Andor episode eleven, which we know is part one of a two part finale? So. Cassian and Melshi are on the run. They're on Narkina five. Clearly, they got to get off that planet somehow. Luthen, the heat's been turned up on him. He's he's given his orders to Lonnie. Uh, Ferrix, Sinta is still keeping watch over. It seems like a dying Marva Andor. Yeah. And uh, that those are our main threads. Oh well, we didn't get much. I guess the we we then have Miro, 
and Cyril. So episode 11, what say you? God, I really hope we don't get Miro and Cyril. Or I hope we don't get Cyril. I'm just kind of tired of that character. <laughs> like, Well, you might you might change your mind when we go through Tony's quotes because he, he kind of, uh, he opens Cyril's playbook a bit for, or his potential, I'm, I should say. I hope that his uh, potential is more than a weird incel guy who just follows this it girl is. It, 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 it Honestly, <laughs> Nick... It, 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 you know, to tease it, it seems like Tony is surprised that fans interpreted their relationship as one of love, because that's not where Tony's mind Are is you at sure? on Cyril. Did he? Maybe he needs to read his own writing again, hey, or whoever wrote that show. It was, or, it was fucking Bo Bo Willimon. He, he yeah. needs to talk to Bo. But maybe hey, we'll, he we'll needs get to there, review so. those scripts because that was pretty fucking clear that he was obsessed yeah, with this I'll, woman. Yeah, uh, I, I think Cyril's got something, but I also think he could just honestly have a boner for Law and Order too. Like he's that creepy, so you he just may, you don't know. I mean, maybe, um, but yeah, I mean, episode next episode is obviously going to be the first one in the round out to the end of the season. Um, so, fuck. I mean, at that point, it's so hard to figure out what's going to happen with Cassian because he's off the grid for everybody now. Like the, you know. Uh, Keith Gergo is not a real person, so if they search him in a fucking database, he's not going to come up Keith. under. Yeah, and like the only thing he's going to come terrorist. up under is when when he escaped from this prison. There is no other name of Keith Gergo anywhere in the galaxy. Yeah. So, so he, as you as you go into your your preview here, is there any possibility that because of the breakout, the Empire was able to re- review security footage and have now noticed like, oh fuck, we had. Andor in a prison and now he's gone again. So that is that's, that a possibility? Yeah. So that's kind of what I was going to say is like more than likely what's going to happen is, is this is going to get run up the chain to ISB because there's no way that a full ass prison break doesn't make its way up to ISB. They'll review the footage and they'll see like, Oh, we had Cassie and Andor. Kind that's kind of kinda what I'm, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And that, that'll obviously further along their investigations. Yeah. And so. now like, it's easier for them to track him because there's only so many places that he can go. They know where he was. They know where he escaped to, and they can basically track. I mean, this is the planet that they're on is going to be completely crawling with like Imperial like patrols. And it's going to have like, they'll be able to see ships that come ships that go. So they'll be able to track his ass real easy. Um, What it'll come down to is, once he gets off of that planet, what does he do from there? Because that's going to be how he truly escapes. Like if he comes off that planet and goes straight to Ferrix, then he is maybe fucked. <laughs> like he may put everybody at that plan on that planet in danger. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, like to me, the next episode is going to be about what does he do post escape? Can he skirt away from the empire again? Obviously we assume that he can, because we know that he's, in Rogue One as an Imperial or as a rebel spy. Um, after that, it's going to, I feel like we're going to touch on some more of the Mon Mothma storyline with this Gavo or Davo character and see um, how things progress there. Um, that's going to be interesting because I don't even think she's going to mention this, this whole, you know, marriage thing to, to light up because I think that she's going to do everything in her power to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, and then I think the vice is going to close on Luthen or start to close on Luthen. Um, he, he, 
if he makes it to season two, I will be very surprised. Um, oh, he, and he is. Like, uh, and Cyril, I don't really give a fuck about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not dropping spoilers or anything, but I, I'm pretty sure when we talk about this Tony interview next, that Tony pretty much kicks that door open that Luthen is back, but yes, his his time is short and he knows it. Yeah. Uh, all right, so... Here, here's my take. I like it. Like I kind of spit to you. I, I do think the Empire and Visa V, uh, Clay and Luthen and Vel and Cinta, will all learn that Cassian was on Narkina Five somehow. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I also think that Luthen is going to be the one that goes and rescues him. And it could possibly be under the guise of rescue so he can take him out there. Or it could be Luthen realizes like, you know what? I was right about this guy. He just successfully led or helped one of the only ever Imperial prison breaks. The potential I saw and used him for and was ready to kill him over is, is worth now keeping him alive. So I have to go rescue Cassian I I I want this guy back he is someone that we need on the team or again it's just hey we know where he's at we can go rescue him under the guise of rescue and then we can take him out that way so I I do think Luthen is the one to pick him up because how else is is Cassian Melshi getting off Narkina 5 it's not like they they can just walk into a starport in prisoner uniforms and be like hey we're out of here I mean the only other way to do it would be to take down some imperial soldiers without being seen put on their uniforms and try to get off on an Imperial transport somehow. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, the hard part to me is like eyes are on Luthen. Like, and if he, if he goes to pick them up, it's over. Like, if, well, if, that that's going to, I think pay off on the trailer moment. We still haven't seen where you see his Fondor ship taking on a star cruiser. And, and that, that could very well be the, the fight to, to get off of Narkina 5 with Cassian or to get on it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, I just, who else goes and picks up Cassian from Narkina 5 that, that makes any sense? I, I, I see, like, I would I, like to see him get off by himself, but I don't know if that's realistic. Like you said, like, how would he do it? But then again, like, you know, I know it it's, doesn't it's have Star to be Wars realistic. And- <laughs> yeah, he he still has plot armor for yeah, all intents and yeah. purposes. I mean, it, so yeah, the motherfucker can't die unless he's got a, a a twin brother that's also named Cassie and Andor. <laughs> he can't die. Um, yeah. So I I, I just I, I'm I've been saying it for the past few episodes, but maybe this will be the one where we get that trailer moment yeah. with Luthen fighting that ship and seemingly having lightsabers shooting out of the side of his own craft. Because to me, it's just like all right. He, that everyone wants Cassian, good guys and bad guys. Oh well, everybody uh, wants to smoke his ass. Like even that's what I mean. Luthen wants him dead. <laughs> but you would, I, I don't know. You got to think if you, knowing Luthen and his ultimate goal and what he's been doing for fifteen years, if he realizes like, holy shit, the guy I recruited, not only pulled off the Aldani job, but he got his ass thrown in prison under the PRD and uh, motivated the prison to revolt and the prisoners to break out. Maybe I should reconsider killing him just so he doesn't talk about me. Maybe I can now fully bring him into the circle and have him as, you know, maybe my left-hand man sitting upon the the throne that Clea sits to the right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that would make the most sense to me is that like somehow he comes back. Yeah, th- I, I mean, at some and, point in time, their, their stance, I'm talking the good guy's stance has to change on Cassie and Andor. They, yeah, they, they can't to, want to assassinate him. Something yeah. is going to have to change their minds. It's either going to be the girls on Ferrix can't do it because of Marva's situation or Luthen going, fuck, this guy really is a gem. Yeah. We can't sacrifice him just for my safety. Let's go. We we need to get him back. Yeah. Um, so. so I I, I think we, we we get parts of those plans. I do think Cyril shows up, and there's a good chance he could be on Ferrix on his own. Like I, I really think he is probably lone wolfing at this point in time after being turned down by his his lady yeah. love or who he, he wishes loved him. Yeah. If he comes back, I really do hope it is in a solo capacity and he like fucking grows a set of nuts and decides to, to do something on his own. Um, well, dude, just, just wait. Like, I know you hate Cyril, but wait till you hear what Tony has to I say about him. I don't give a fuck what Tony says. Tony, yeah, but Tony, Tony's teeing things oh up for, gosh. you know, I, I, I was going with, I think Gus Kenobi mentioned here, like, I, I was still, until I read this quote from Tony, going with, Cyril is going to have a Wiley E. Coyote moment in the finale to where it, it looks to us and it looks to him like he's going to get the win, he's going to get his guy. But ultimately, he's going to fuck up at the last moment, which is going to cause a fuck up for everyone trying to capture Cass and Andor. Miro, the Empire, you name it. He's going to screw everything up spectacularly. Oh, yeah. But after yeah. reading this, this interview from Tony, it's like, uh, maybe this guy, the way Tony's talking about, he's, he seems like he has a, a mind that could be reshaped. Uh, so I'm starting to think that Cyril, in the end... May go Rebel Alliance. How's that for a tease? We'll get there soon. And won't can we somebody read the just interview? throw this motherfucker out of an airlock so we can move <laughs> on from Cyril? Because Cyril honestly, for life. What if like, he becomes like the hero of season two God, and he's the I, reason Cassian makes it to Kafreen in Rogue I, One, Nick? Come on. I don't really give up hope on Karn he's yet. not in season two. I just don't <laughs> like the character. At like I didn't like the character uh, from when he was introduced. I didn't like the character <laughs> as he has progressed through the show. How um, dare you? I don't know. Maybe he'll. Maybe he gets better. But like I don't care if Cyril gets fucking chopped up into little bits. And like just make him interesting oh, in man. some way. He's just There's so no, lo- no love for Cyril here. <laughs> but I, I they have to check in on Cyril. I think at this point we we get back to. I think Miro heads back to Ferrix. It seems like her her trap is getting ready to be sprung. You know, she's left Marva alone. She's destroyed Bix's mind. Uh, and we know from the trailer that she still needs to be on Ferrix with that platoon of, of um, death troopers. I don't think that's episode 11, though. I think she, she gets herself there after learning about, hey, Cassian was in a prison. He got out. Where's he going to go next? Well, probably to come check on his dying mother because i i know nick you're like why the fuck would he go back to ferrix but you got to think now the time he spent in the prison i i believe finally showed cassian the reality that he lives in that there is no escape anymore there is no hiding there is no running and and just having a lot of money and always trying to be one step ahead of the empire i think he now realizes that the empire needs to go and he is someone that has the skills and the abilities to motivate people and himself to lead towards the empire going away. And, and I think he's going to remember what his mom was saying to him 
and maybe he'll learn from Vel or Cinta or Luthen that she's not doing well and she's dying and that Miro's fucking her up and everything's fucked up on Ferrix. And I think he's going to feel an overwhelming sense of, of guilt. Like I got to go back and rescue these people who covered for me and are suffering for me because I now know that being a rebel is my destiny. And that's what a rebel would do. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be so interesting to see how that all plays out. I, I think that's why he, if, if Cassian does go back to Ferrix, which is, it seems like it's going to happen. That's going to be the big shebang in episode 12. It's going to be this, this feeling like my mom I mean, was right. I've learned my lesson. I now do he's going to go a get rebel. his mother killed, <laughs> which yeah. is why he's so pissy and fucking, uh, there you Rogue go. One. There you, there you go. There you go. So, All right. So we'll uh, see what happens, but I am, I am, I think this is the first time all season that I am very eager to see what happens next. Like I, I, cause we know the end is, the end is nigh. The end is nigh. And it, it's, it's only a matter of time before we get the full story of season one revealed to us. And I, I think there's still a few more little secrets and, and, and um, plot exposures to be had. <sighs> All right. So I've been teasing this one. Hopefully it doesn't fall on its face. But uh, last week, Tony, in Love Him or Hate Him, you, you got to love his candor in interviews. I mean, the guy is no bullshit. I mean, he's, he's one guy, unlike any of these other Star Wars creators, where you can tell they're kind of, they've been prepped or you know, they, they just talk out of their butts or they just reuse sound bites in interviews. Tony, I mean, outside of just giving away straight story spoilers, pretty much says it how it is. So, here we go. What's this? And he'll rescue B2 to upload him into K2 and see. Yeah, I, I still believe B2 is going to have some impact on K2 and season two. Yeah, there'll be some sort of connection. It's just they're they're too similar in in the way K2 talks. It's just too too familial. Just for like, hey, I found the droid and programmed them, and now we're best buddies. Uh, All right, so Tony sat down with THR and a bunch of other outlets last week, but for the most part, uh, this had the good quotes in it. And and first, here's Tony on Kino Loy's ultimate fate. So they ask him, like, hey, man, what's up? Can't swim. He's dead, right? And here's what Tony had to say. I don't know. He's not dead. Is he dead? I don't see him dying in episode 10. He dies in episode 7, a.k.a. The Last Jedi. Everybody knows. Well, eight, the eight. eight. Everyone's yeah. favorite episode is <laughs> every, eight. Every, is great. Episode eight. <laughs> episode eight. But he, I, I mean, you know, f- to not be complete jerk offs, he is technically correct. Uh, I mean, it is a, it's an unwritten rule in film and TV that if you do not see a character die on screen, as in die, die in the ground, or either body mutilated, head chopped off. They're they're technically not oh, yeah. gone. So like he didn't even it, it, jump. Like he is no. definitely alive. Like he he yeah, stayed on the station. So I don't know so how he could die. <laughs> do Nick, do you think there's a potential for one or two more Kino scenes? Could you see him being interrogated after being caught by the Empire, or do you think he just committed suicide because he knew like he's he's screwed? Anyways? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think he's gonna kill himself. Um, I don't think that he has it in him because if he was going to kill himself, he would have just fucking jumped off the thing and drowned. Yeah, right. Um, I, I think that he, he, we may see another scene of him, like, like okay. people showing up to the facility and then yeah, like, who are you him. with? Okay. And he's like, Keith, and they're like, 
no, it's Cassie Nandor. He's like, he's fucking Keith Gergo, bitch, and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, one of the, like a very contentious yeah. interrogation where ultimately he gets killed in the end. But I, I could see a scene like that popping up. Um, yeah, especially if he was the only one that stayed there. The, the Empire probably showed up and they're like, dude, what the fuck's wrong it's, with you? Why, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone asked earlier in the live stream chat, why was Kino in prison? And, and I don't know if it was from this interview or I read it somewhere else, but apparently, oh, it was from Andy himself. It might have been a tweet or an interview Andy Serkos went in. And he was like, listen, uh, to me, Kino was was like a union boss that got in trouble by trying to do too much for his workers. And that's why the empire threw him in prison. Interesting. So that, that's, that's what Andy used to create that character. If anything else. Okay. I mean, yeah, I can see that. Cause that would give him the, like the leadership style right. that he has and the ability exactly. to like, you know, manage different, you know, groups of people and stuff. So, I mean, that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. What if, what if Kino ends up being interrogated by the Borgali? Borgali. And that, that's how the Borgali gets introduced. <laughs> and Saul, Saul comes in. He's like, I'm going to rescue you, buddy. He's like, come on. And Kino's ready to jump. He's like, not you, the Borgali. And then the Borgali jumps and Saul flies away and goes and hides in another cave on Jeddah until Rogue One. <laughs> Borgali. That would, be, that would be great. That would be great. But even okay, if here, they here, use that on him, they couldn't get anything out of him because he doesn't know shit. Like, I know. He, he only he only knows Keith Gergo. Yeah, he's like like this guy Keith Gergo. He broke a water pipe and that allowed us to escape from this whole ass prison. Like Ooh, I like I like this idea from Connor in the chat. He's saying I could see a little rebel rallying montage over some sort of speech in the final episode or something where we see various uprisings everywhere and maybe there we see Kino make his last stand. I like that. That that would be cool. Uh, that that would also be a cool way to kind of end end the season like the the rebels scoring another victory but kind of like at the end of the Return of the Jedi at least special edition where you tour the galaxy and everyone yeah is celebrating we would see other uprisings because clearly you're going to get an uprising on Ferrix. I mean, they, they were uprising against the clones the moment the Republic took or the Republic fell and, and the Empire rose. So you, you are going to get some action on Ferrix over these next two episodes, definitely in the finale. So yeah, I, 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 think would, I would we, like that. That would be cool. I think we, we may get like that scene of like organization across the galaxy may be saved for the end of season two. Because I feel like the end of season two is is probably going to be when like open rebellion happens. Well, if we believe the Lord, yeah. that it should be happening. Right and really, the finale should be. I mean, the finale honestly should be Cassian in his U wing flying to Kafreen to meet his contact yeah, right his before contact. he fucking and kills him. Shoot him in the back. Um, that technically should be yeah. if, if we're believing the Gilroy. So here, here's the next. And, and this is for those of you that are all bent over the lack of aliens in Andor, which I've learned. It took me a while. I was still getting upset over Kenobi and getting mad at you all and how you watch Star Wars these days. I, I really, who gives a fuck? But there has been a lot of eh, no, no aliens. And if you think about it, why would there be? I mean, we're, we're mostly focused on the fucking empire and the empire hates aliens. I mean, the, you're never going to see an alien on Coruscant in any imperial building. They're not going to be in the ISB. They're not going to be in the Navy. About, they're not going to be in the Army. What about the prison? I mean, Thrawn. You would figure yeah, that the prison would be filled with aliens. That, well, like, and, of all and of here, the aliens that they have captured and started to oppress. Well, the way the way Tony explained it, he's like, well, 
you saw three other prisons there, right? Why couldn't one of the other prisons been for all aliens? You Why know? couldn't because the one that you're in have aliens in it, Tony? What a dumbass way to answer that question. Humans, humans <laughs> work better with humans. Something like that. I don't know. But, but, but here's, what he, here's what he had to say about the lack of aliens. There's already so much politics in the show to begin with, and we're trying to tell an adventure story, really. So adding strong alien characters means that all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of new issues that we have to deal with that I don't really understand that well, or I just couldn't think of a way to bake them into what we're doing. You'll see more as we go along, but it's a legit question and one we'll be answering as we go along. There is a more human-centric side of the story and the politics of it. There's certainly no aliens working for the Empire, so that kind of tips it one way automatically. So he's Wrong. saying, Thrawn he's saying, be patient. He's saying, be patient. More alien leads will show up in season two and get over yeah. it. I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it was a kind of like it's a non-answer. He's like, I don't have any in there because I don't want any well, in it's, there. This is one as Tony where I, I would I roll my eyes and be like, really, people, you're going to fucking get bent because I don't have aliens like speaking dialogue. They're they're in the background. You can see them in Mon's place. You could see them when Lonnie was going down the sector 1313 or wherever they went. So, uh, yeah, here, Connor, he, he he's validating Lord Gilroy. They were segregated by gender in prison. So why not segregate by race as well? You remember the, the empire was fascist and racist as fuck. Big time. Uh, Palpatine did not like aliens. That's why Thrawn is such a special character in Star Wars, because he's the only non-human that Palpatine allowed into the higher echelons of his Imperial machine. And he looked pretty human-y. He was basically yeah, just a blue just, human. Just fucking blue with red eyes. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, no big deal. You know, he wasn't like a Mon Calamari where his fucking squid head. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's just not blue. goofy looking. I mean, do they... <laughs> The, the, does Thrawn's race the Chiss? Do they have like multiple wieners or something, or are they just? They're just we never blue. got into too deep of an uh, anatomical discussion <laughs> yeah. in the books. But Thrawn's uh, like, oh my two dicks. Yeah, it's so like, like my my fifth ball is really <laughs> annoying me right now. I'm Grand Admiral <laughs> Thrawn. I have two dicks and five balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hear it's, me roar. It's canon now, uh. people. Make sure you go <laughs> tell everybody after you listen to this show. It is canon. Yeah. So. The Chiss are well equipped. And <laughs> we're not even going to get into what the females have with their plumbing. Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, All I don't right. give a shit if there's fucking aliens or not. Yeah, me neither. But, but it's just but like, that- don't, don't say like... Don't give some bullshit answer. Just say like, oh, I didn't write any aliens in speaking parts. Yeah, like, he's like, hey, fuck, fuck you. We're, we're mainly dealing with the Empire in season one. Go eat shit, is what he was saying. He, he took the get out of jail free card there. Uh, okay, so here is uh, Tony talking. He, he, he actually, like us, was surprised to find Easter eggs in his own show. And uh, the interviewer kind of asked him about the, the jargon and references in the script. And he's like, you know, no, but we have Pablo Hidalgo. He's sort of the curia of the Vatican up there at Lucasfilm. Like I said, always passive aggressive yeah. when he's talking about Pablo and Lucasfilm and the story group. <laughs> he's the final voice, but we have a lot of people on the show. Mo and Leo, our visual effects supervisor who is on Rogue as well, is a huge part of our show and really important feature on our show. 
Moen and his team know everything. We have a lot of people around the show that are really deep. So if we have a question, we ask it. But it's kind of an organic system, really. Every now and then, they sneak shit in there that I even didn't know. I was reading online about the antiquities in Luthen's gallery, and the provenance of some of those antiquities was news to me. Mm-hmm. So it was fantastic that the art department snuck those things in there. But by and large, it's a collaborative, organic rolling process. Yeah, I mean, I like I, that. I, I like figured that, I mean, that he I, didn't say, like, Hey, make sure to put some cool shit in the background. <laughs> no, I, I, what I like, Nick, is that he's he's having fun with it. Like, yeah. it, I think it's cool that the showrunner of a show was surprised by his own show. That that to me just seems kind of cool. It's like, all right, that that does speak of a well-oiled machine. Yeah, a, a it does speak of a collaborative uh, type of cast and crew that he has. So it would also I, not I, surprise I, me if like the other shows were kind of worked in a similar way to where you had like you know you had like Deborah or you had uh, you know Robert Rodriguez or whoever's like running the show like focused on like the important shit. And they just tell the set director people like, hey, put some cool shit in the background that like fans yeah. will be able to to see and point out and stuff like that. So it's not surprising that they. they well, it's just like, you know, we, we've I think we've we've created a version of Lord Gilroy for our show that has <laughs> kind of gotten out of control. But it, it, it it's fun. But it does sound like in that quote right there, it, it does not sound like Tony Gilroy as arrogant as he comes off in interviews is a dictator on set. Oh, okay. it, it, it does sound like he is willing, like, Hey, Mo, and you know uh, what, what the third soldier in rogue one's name was. All right, let's, let's try to leverage that and use yeah, it. Like but, he's but open anyway. to that type of shit. He's just not going to be the one to, to, to do learn it, it and, and do it, yeah. which, Hey, great. It's, it's worked out pretty well so far. Yeah. Uh, all right. So other potential uh, spinoffs. Yeah, Rogue One spinoffs and their potential. So he was asked, "Hey Tony, what other characters would have made sense for a prequel?" And he's like, ah, "I guess the Jyn Erso show would be pretty fascinating too." My attitude is, you could do anybody. I mean, the Bodhi Rook domestic drama. Everything can be interesting if you get into it. If you dig down, it's all interesting. Whose life isn't really? Cassian's life is just a little bit juicier because he's going to end up on that beach and he's going to give it all away consciously. See, I think that the best character for a spinoff, another spinoff from Rogue One, is Galen. And it's not even close. Like, Galen... Okay. I, you know, honestly, Nick, I thought you were going to go Baze and Cheer It. Baze and Cheer It would be kind of interesting. Because that, that's where you get more into the traditional mystical Star yeah. Wars that you were saying. You know, you kind of, or a lot of fans are kind of missing in, in Andor. I feel like with Baze and Cheer It, though, I don't, like, I'm not sure what their duties were because they were, like, guardians of the wills and they worked for that specific temple. So I don't know if they, I mean, like, I guess you could write them to do anything that you want them to do. But I don't know if they would have like adventures where they would have to like leave the planet often because right. they were like at that specific temple. I dude, I, I do like the Galen call. My my head wasn't even remotely going there, but that that would be a very interesting take yeah. because he he kind of does a a one eighty where he yeah. he starts working for the Empire, quits, and then is but then has to go back, back after after starting a family and yeah, so yeah that's that, why that that would work. Yeah, that that that's kind of my angle at it is like you get the you get both sides of the imperial coin. You get the side where you choose to work for them and then you get the side where you're forced to work for them all in one person. And you tell that story. I mean, it happens over multiple years, obviously, because he gets out 
has a kid. And then we see in the beginning of Rogue One when uh, he gets, you know, essentially. Well, yeah, with the Galen in. stuff, too, you could really fold in Krennic and see how yeah. they were friends and where things went bad. You would get all kind of the, the, the behind the scenes politics and, and technical oh, and science so, aspects so of the Death Star. stuff about the Death Star. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, you know, yeah. that I, to me, that would be if we're if we're just purely looking at like characters that we know would have an interesting art, not that you could write an interesting arc for. Yeah. Galen would probably be top. No, you're right. Like, like Bat just came in. Krennic would be cool too, but no, I, I, I think Galen and Krennic, it would, it would be almost like a, a their series together for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, but then I do think, I think Jin would be next because she has an interesting story to follow. Cause there's a huge gap in between her getting picked up by Saul Guerrero as a kid and her being in that prison as an adult. So yeah. yeah. Why, why was she in prison? What, what, what sort of rebellious shit was she doing? You know, where did she learn her skills? How much did she learn from Uncle Saul? That type of stuff. Uh, plus, you you would get more Saul backstory. So, uh, there you go. Kevin's saying, what if they just called the show Stardust and it was a full look at the main players? Hey, man, I'd be down for it. Why not? Fucking I like that. Stardust. <laughs> Ziggy yeah. Stardust. How about we yeah. call it that? <laughs> just have a uh, fucking David Bowie character yeah. recreated there <laughs> somewhere. Uh, no, I, th- I mean, like, that's a good call. I mean, I would, I would watch that could be the theme song. All right. <laughs> uh, Tony on bringing in a real Star Wars nerd for season two. So he didn't have any in season one, but we talked, uh, I think, a week or two ago that Tom Bissell is joining the writers, and apparently he is a Star Wars nerd. So here's what Tony had to say. Yeah, we did the same thing that we did last time. We just did a slightly longer version. I think we did seven days in the writer's room, and we brought in another writer as well. He's talking about prepping for season two. Yeah. We brought in a guy named Tom Bissell, who's a really strong writer and has a really interesting resume. Mosquito Coast, author of The Disaster Artist. He also has a very powerful interest in Star Wars, and he's almost a nerd Star Wars fan. Oh no, a nerd Star Wars yeah, like, fan! You gotta understand, Everybody like this, those people. This right? is like this is rough for Lord Tony. Like <laughs> it's almost like he's saying, like, listen, guys, I'm taking one on the chin for you bastards. I brought in <laughs> one of you Star Wars nerds to work with the great Tony Gilroy, <laughs> and and a lot of it is canon canonical. So it was really helpful to have a stronger canonical voice in the room. So what he's saying is season two, for you people that have not liked season one, season two is probably going to speak to you a little bit more because it is going to get a little more into the legacy characters and the existing canon that surrounds Rogue One and beyond. Um, and he's got an expert now. He's got one of us on the team, which means we're probably, when I'm breaking down season two, more than likely in 24 or beyond, the uh, Easter, Easter eggs, eggs and references are, are going to be on par probably with the uh, Mandoverse. So, yes. yay. Thanks, more. Tom. You fucking Star Wars nerd. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and here's the, here's the one I've been teasing for Nick. And I know Nick, he, he, we're not going to change his mind, but <laughs> just 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 listen to Lord Gilroy. And and I want all of you to 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 kind of speculate. All right, well, what does that mean? What what could that mean for Cyril's uh, potential in future? All right. So Tony was asked about Cyril possibly being in love with Dedra and if he's a fascist. And I think he had an interesting reply because we all just went right there. Yes, he's a fascist. Yes, he's a creep. 
Yes, he's in love, yada, yada, yada. So here he goes. Well, I don't know if he's confessed love to her yet or if he will, but he's not a fascist. He's unformed, really. He obviously likes rules. He likes order. We see the chaotically emotional landscape that he has been brought up in, meaning his mom, and the simplicity of things being the way they are supposed to be and people doing their jobs is what keeps him sane. Fighting chaos is what keeps him sane, and that energy and that motivation is ideologically up for grabs. See? I don't think Dedra's ideology is up for grabs. I obviously don't think the ISBs is either, but there's something unformed about Cyril. It's just as easy to see him going in a number of directions. So his issues are much more personal at this point. They're more behavioral and psychological than they are ideological. So that's, what do you think, man? I mean, he's, he's given Cyril a lifeline, I believe here. And, and he is telling us that there is more potential to this this Luddite than you, you may think. Like he, he has that type of brain where if the right person gets in front of him, he can change his way of thinking. And That's at least how I'm taking Joe it. He's Joe Rogan. Like there, essentially what he yeah. told me is that he's Joe Rogan and everybody knows that Joe Rogan agrees with whoever's sitting across from him at yeah. any particular time. So, but, um, but, but honestly, I, I mean, do you, do you get what he's saying? Like, like, yeah. Listen, Dedger's a fucking fascist straight up. Cyril is not. He he definitely likes law and order, but he's not all in on fascism. It, and it sounds like he could be. I don't think he convinced. gives a fuck about fascism or ism or whatever. He just wants to get in front of Cassie and Andor for some reason. Yeah, like, it's well, it's it's like Tony saying it's 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 all personal for yeah, Cyril. It's, like it's, he he wants to clear his name, and that's pretty much as far as he's thinking. Uh, but I I don't know. I I I think this quote does open up the potential for Cyril to have redemption almost. I can to where see that. He, he may realize like, yo, Dedger and the ISB, while I'm all about law and order and not having chaos, I, I can't get down with the way they choose to enact it. Yeah, you know I don't I mean I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see how his storyline progresses. I don't know if he could ever be fully bought into the rebellion because the rebellion is built on crime and chaos and going against the order. And he is, if anything, he is a person of order, like so much so that he was filing reports about Cassian Andor (laughs) at his job. Like, that yeah. is how much of an order freak he is. Like he can't go do shit on his own. He's like, I well, well, the the right way to do it is to put in an order, like put in a fucking request through my my terminal, and they'll they'll get oh, yeah. it. Like, like I don't know if he could ever fully assimilate into the rebellion because he is too much about order. It doesn't have to be fascist order, but he he structure. Yeah going about things in a very clean cut and straightforward way. I don't know if he has the ability to like assimilate into a rebellion where it's like, okay, your job right now is to go kill this guy and steal all of his money so we can fund our next mission against the empire or, you know, or helping that in that way. 
Tony uh, kind of saying like, listen, his his ideology, his ideologies, whatever the fuck that word ideologies. is, are are open. Like he, unlike you know you and I, I'm pretty sure we know who we are, where we fall, what we believe in. He's saying serial outside of just general beliefs doesn't really have that. He he can he is unformed as Tony says. And, and I don't know, when someone's ideology is up for grabs, in my mind, it, it can, it's going to get grabbed by the forces Whoever's. of evil or the forces of good. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling that he is, he's, he's going to have a turn, and, and it may be at, to the detriment of his own life. But I, I know I've been saying, hey, he's going to do something stupid, like, you know, trip over a grenade and blow up Miro. And, <laughs> and that's how Cassian and them get away. But now I'm almost thinking he may at the last moment when he is finally going to give himself some closure and redeem himself in his own eyes, make the decision like, you know what? The right thing to do is going to be to save this man and what his people are trying to do in the galaxy now. I don't know. Maybe, I, yeah. This this opens Ciro up a lot for me, at least, and and where his journey could go now. Because I, you know, like a lot of you and Nick was like, this guy is marching towards doom. He he's going to fuck himself over. That's just the type of character he is. But now, shitty life, shitty home life. His mom berated him. He's all he's a little mental. But the fact that his ideolo- ideology can be, I don't want to say bought, but can be influenced. To f- actually form one for him, I, it could go either way. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, like for characters like that, it's whoever gets to him first. Like it's yeah. basically like who's going to get to him first? Is it going to be the bad guys or is it going to be the good guys? And then that's because y- y- you know what's going to turn him off of Miro is if y- he sees that she knows something and has Cassian and, and she doesn't act on it because she's trying to get a bigger fit. And he's going to be like, hey, you can't do that. Like, Bleh, law and order. Like, <laughs> And then he might go do something stupid. I don't know. I, I just, Cyril Karn is going to have an impact on Andor's journey moving forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, plain definitely. And, plain and simple. Plain he, and simple. He wouldn't have been in the, like, they of wouldn't course, have I know. given that him was like a, dumb a bit statement. just to, I know. like, It was a, it was a, it was a very, no shit Sherlock <laughs> statement, but sometimes when you talk for many hours about Star Wars, dumb shit comes out of my mouth, but... Yes, I know that's obvious. Yeah. I, I just, how about, I, I think Cyril may have a water cooler moment by the time this season's over. How's that? Okay. Is yeah, that, that would be that interesting. Better? I think that there All will right. be a big event that happens with him for sure. Okay. All right. Um, and I hope he gets waxed because I just don't like the character. <laughs> like I, Nick, Nick thinks about Cyril the way I think about Tim with two M's from yeah, the first three episodes. Like, I, I, I still hate Tim with two M's, and clearly Nick has a Cyril Karn dartboard it's, 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 behind him off like, camera. Cyril is a spineless fuck who, like, thinks that he's the hero of a story, and really he is the nothing in a story. But he yeah, acts like what, he's the hero a, in a story. A mother like Sears will do to a man, I think. But yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm with you. He's just hey, hey. If anything else, <laughs> I think you have to give Kyle Solar credit because the the amount of vitriol you have for the character shows that that dude has done a oh, pretty damn did, good yeah. job bringing him to life. Because you fucking hate him. I yeah, love him. I mean, it. he's he's <laughs> done a very good job of acting hey, this character. If out Adrian sure. is if, if if Adrian's listening at action figure snaps first. <laughs> The video with you and your little boy setting up toys for a shoot, 
chef's kiss. Congratulations. Uh, second, we need a shirt made for Nick that says, I love Cyril Karn with like a picture of, of Cyril and like a heart above it. Something like that. <laughs> no, thank, no, thank you. Sir. Uh, Come on, next? shirt man. You can do it. Okay. Here's some more good stuff from Tony. Tony talks about what Cassian was building on Narkina 5. Something else that everyone was, was asking. And I kind of like his non-answer. They're building season two. <laughs> I'm Tony Gilroy. It's the spine of season two. I've heard all kinds of things. It's great. All the material that the Empire has, I look at everything like, economically, how does this work? Who built Scarif? How do you build that? How do you build Eadu? How do you build the Death Star in this armada of ships? There's a lot of things that need to be built, and there's an incredible amount of material. So to me, what they're building is not as important as the scale of it. When you go to the Imperial Bureau of Standards, where Cyril works you go oh my god and he's just working at the fuel purity desk but that's what it takes to run this empire so the scale of it really is what they're trying to suggest i like it yeah it's like hey yeah. don't don't worry about it. it's just when you run an, a galaxy-sized empire you're gonna need slave labor to build everything yeah yeah i mean that makes sense like and i don't think it would have made a difference either way like what if they were building Death Star? Yeah, parts? no. Or what it, if they were no, building? Nick, it, it, it's just, yeah. it, it's like for dorks like us. It's just that <laughs> the, the the through line, like, oh, hey, you know, Cassian actually had a hand in yeah. the Death Star that blew up he a was, planet. He was building exhaust <laughs> ports, and he made yeah, exactly, it two exactly. meters wide. There you that's go. That, that's the reason Galen. He wrote a note. He etched yeah. it on here. Galen Urso, make sure to <laughs> let them know about this one yeah. port. This I've one made here. it bigger. Yeah. Like it could fit a proton torpedo in it. <laughs> but it, it, it's kind of like economics in Star Wars isn't something new. I mean, George Lucas, that was the whole fucking prequel trilogy was about yeah, Star trade. Wars economies. And, I mean, the economics. Trade Federation and everything. So, yeah, yeah. you know, they're just bringing real life in. And we have plenty of slave labor in this world. So why not? Uh, art mimicking life. True. All right, so here's, here's and this, Nick, I think this speaks to Luthen's ultimate fate and why I think he makes it into another season. So this is Tony on Luthen Rael's future and galaxy-sized chess game. Well, he's a chess player, man. He's sacrificing a castle to protect his queen. That's in terms of uh, the Krieger thing. But here's something else interesting he says. So I don't think the Krieger story is over yet. Hmm. Luthen is in a very tough spot, and his position over the next five years is only going to get more complicated because how do you build this network? Earlier on, he says that he's been building it for 10 or 12 years, but all of a sudden, with Aldani, they're going loud. All of a sudden, they're going to expose themselves. In a classic political sense, he's an accelerationist. He believes in the fact that you have to make it hurt really bad in order to bring people to change. Once you make that announcement via the Aldhani heist in episode six, once you do that, you're no longer in charge of the thing that you put out there. So how do you juggle your paranoia? How do you maintain your secrecy? How do you go big and stay small and tight? How do you expand while expansion makes you more vulnerable? Those are going to be issues. You're seeing the beginning of those issues in episode 10 and in this tranche. That's also one of the major food groups that we'll be dealing with in the second season. So right there, he's confirming Luthen makes it into season two. It's insane and that he's going to live for five more years. 
if that's if he says that right and his position over the next five years is going to get more complicated, that's absolutely crazy that he lives well, like for that long. Four and a half years, because technically at this point, I think season one has eaten up at least a half of year. And cast yeah. er, the Andor series only supposed to cover a total of five years. So I think Tony was was yeah. off a little bit. So yeah, but, but it, still, it, it, like four and a half years for him for him to live that long after this. Well. I think I think that's why this this quote is so eye opening because he's pretty much saying like listen, Luthen has brought this upon himself now and now we're gonna get to see how he reacts and deals with it and it yeah it, I think he's pretty much saying it, it it it's gonna be unavoidable like you can't you can't start open rebellion against the galaxy on a galaxy size level without paying the ultimate price. Yeah, uh, yeah, but but it sounds like season two is going to really, and if you were thrown off, it, this is Tony's jargon, but he he talks about narratives as food groups, I'm not fucking around. Like he he's he says this a lot. So one of the main narratives of season two is going to be Luthen's ordeal, and how his life is seemingly going to change year to year, and how he is going to stay in front of the Empire as long as he can before they ultimately take him out which we know he's got to be gone uh, i'm guessing nick in, in season two he's gone the first block of three is a year second block i i would say within the third block of three is when he dies so like year year yeah. three into season two so yeah so like towards the end of the show or um, I, I mean if they get into the last block like he's got to die episode one I, I don't know how you well i guess you could keep luthan alive all the way to the end and that's what you know, pushes Cassian off to, to start the mission. But by then Cassian's fully ingrained. He's a, he's, he's got rank and everything. So who the fuck knows? But Luthen yeah. definitely making out of season two. If anyone's been yeah. questioning that. It seems like it seems like it. So, I mean, that's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting move. Cause I thought that they would have transitioned the, like either like left a power vacuum within the, the rebellion for a little while until like Mon Mothma, like was, like actually came in and filled that void. Um, but they're going to, they're going to bring them through. So that's, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. And they'll, they'll probably have to get tricky because season two is definitely going to start butting up with star Wars rebels. Yeah. And maybe that's why Bissell's in, and maybe that's why it's going to be more canon based in season two, because they're going to have to watch out for that because yeah, you're, you know, rebels, around. rebels featured some Saul episodes, rebels featured some Mon episodes. There is no Luthen. So yeah. It, yeah. It, is he gone earlier than we think? I don't know. But at some point in time, Mon is going to have to take the mantle and, and she makes that proclamation via rebels that, Hey, this shit can't stand anymore. I'm out of the Senate. We're the Rebel Alliance. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. So, um, no, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I definitely, like at the beginning of this, I was definitely on, on, the, on the side of like Luthen probably won't make it too far, but probably makes it all the way I, I'm, I'm happy though, because I think Stellan has been a treat to watch. Oh, uh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. Him, him and Andy, and, you know, I, I, I'm i not as hard on Diego as, as Nick was. I, I think, really, I mean, we're, we're getting some of the finest performance, Star Wars performances ever. Yeah, no, I, 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 agree. I, I can't think of other performances that rival what we're seeing in Andor. I, I just can't. They, 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 they don't exist, really. Yeah, I mean, I think that you had some really strong performances in Mando Season 1, 
Um, the problem with Mando is that your main character is always behind a fucking helmet. Right. So like, exactly. He's not like, and he's not even acting like, you know, like Pedro's not acting like Pedro's reading shit. Like he is so rarely in the suit. No, and and you're right. And I think that's why that moment where he does take his helmet off in episode eight, when he says goodbye to Grogu hits so hard because now you're actually seeing the pro act and not a stunt double. Not that stunt people aren't professionals, but they're not fucking actors. Yeah. I mean, like there is something to say about like having the, the body of the person and the voice of the person in the same package, you know, like, yeah, because there's only so much that you can do. And like very good stunt people are, are behind the masks of rogue one or not rogue one of the Mandalorian. And they do a fantastic job of portraying, uh, Din in his physical form. But like, there's going to be things that when Pedro is in that suit and he's saying the lines and he's walking and, or doing whatever he's doing, that he's going to add a panache to it. That of course. Somebody can't when they're just listening to him say the lines or they're just walking and shit while uh, you know, somebody's reading a script to him. Um yeah. so I think that's kind of been like the biggest hurdle so far is like of the TV shows that we've seen, you know, a lot of them were either characters that we were already familiar with, so we were very familiar with their acting style, we were very familiar with the character that they were portraying in, in the relationships that they had. You know, a la Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Boba Fett, shit like that. And then in the movies, you could argue that really the best acted movies were the ones that were made in the 70s and the 80s. Like the the, the prequels were like the, the, we already know the quality of the acting in the Bad. prequels is pretty low. And then the sequels wasn't E-A-D. that much greater either. Like, so, I mean, you know. This is definitely the best acted piece oh, of yeah. Star Wars that we've seen in at least and you know, and written I mean, years. written by a mile because I mean George scripts were like beep bop boop yeah go get the beep and the bop and the booper it, stuff like that I mean literally I mean think about the the dialogue in the Naboo Gungan sub oh god I I, I beep bopper the boss's head with the the head <laughs> glibber and blah oh no boy I mean what the I mean fuck? like honestly like if you're like. You said all that shit, and that may literally be like the lines from the fucking movie because that's yeah, how it's stupid close. that shit was. Like that's how that's it's close. I know it is. Like I at least have the the cadence and tone right in the pitch, but it is like I I boombin the boss in the head with a hip blibber and blah 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 blah. Yeah. blah. I'm it's like, dude, it's like what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? It's like I get that you're making it for kids, but you could also make it like understandable, like. Just yeah, in terms of the language, it's um, it's no Luth and Rael monologue. That's for yeah. sure. You didn't no. you didn't get any of those in in the prequels, the originals, or the sequels. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that's all from our Lord and Savior, the the adult Star Wars creator. I like kids Star Wars. <laughs> I want flashing lights and lightsabers. That's right. <laughs> I just, uh, I hope the people, we're really, this next, this is a, a quick one. This is more of a PSA just in case you missed it, but I, I think there's some words to say too. But Nick, I don't know if you saw that Disney made the announcement that they're going to distribute Andor Thanksgiving week to ABC, so for free, 
Yep. FX, Freeform, and Hulu. And they're going to release the first two episodes of Andor on these platforms next week. ABC going first on the 23rd, FX going next on the 24th, and Freeform on the 25th. And then Hulu, since that's a pay service, it will be available that whole uh, 1123 to 12.7. Hey, man. So I, I think this is a great thing, but I also think this is a sign that Disney realizes that Andor has not hit like other Star Wars show shows and it's trying to expand the audience. So I think this well, is a great initiative, but I do think it is a reaction to Andor not performing like other Star Wars series. And if you're going, well, that you're full of shit. All my friends love it. Well, that's your friends. Look, read, read the room. And more importantly, look at the Nielsen ratings because the, the last report I saw was for episode 60. I think it came out last week. It was still like only top six or seven yeah. out of the the top ten streaming shows. I mean, we're talking The Watcher was number one by a mile. I think the Gem the the Dahmer series was still getting more streaming downloads. Cobra Kai was still on the list. So Andor, for as great as it is, and it's fucking excellent. Nick is not wrong. It is it's the best shit out there right now. It is the most. Uh, it, it, it's hit the most metrics for quality that I've seen in a Star Wars project. Great writing, great performance, great cinematography, a lot of practical sets and in, in, in filming. It, it's just, it's all around excellence, but it has failed to really loop into the casual side of Star Wars fans and for some hardcore people. I mean, there's they're some of our kind that aren't loving Andor and, and fall asleep and think it's boring and too big of a slow burn. So uh, th that's why I think this is happening, right? Yeah. Well, also they they missed their fucking um, their uh, revenue projections in this <laughs> in this last quarter. So yeah, I mean that all leads from the show is not as popular and is not drawing in people as much as they wanted them to, which isn't a surprise. It's a show about a guy who dies literally in the next movie after this fucking series. Yeah, no, is over. no force, no lightsabers, yeah, like no there's, Jedi. There's like, if you're a star Wars fan, if you're a casual star Wars fan, somebody tells you like, Oh, they made a movie about casting Andor," you'd be like, who the fuck is that? Like, yeah. And Hey, listen, there's a lot of talking. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of monologues and speeches, not a ton of action, but it's yeah, fucking it's, great. And they're going to be like, it's like, it's a good, go, like, go you fuck can, yourself. You pal. can sell. It's like, it's a good show. Like it's a, it's a really good show. You should watch it. But like a, like a casual star Wars fan who wants to watch a show about Obi-Wan Kenobi or wants to watch a show about Luke Skywalker or something like that, or baby Yoda. Like, it's just not that like it, it it's, it's, it's not going to appeal to those people. Yeah. So um, I, I, um, I don't understand just one and two. If, if you're going to do this and try to convince people to pay to watch the rest, you might as well give them the opening block because it is a true three episode arc. Like, well, I think that's the reason that they're not giving them the third one is like, leave them hanging and then be like, oh, if you want to see what happens, you see, have to pay. <laughs> I, I mean, sure, but they're still going to have to pay after three where you actually are left. Okay. What's going to happen? Cause Episode one and two, if you can go back and remember them, you're, you're just sitting there like, okay, let, let's, I, I can see where we're building, but by the episode two, Nick, that's the one that just randomly ends with a, oh, yeah. like a rock opera with Cassian walking all hard in the junkyard. It's just like, it's over. Okay. Yeah. And then three finally pays off on everything that one and two yeah. set up. So I don't know. In my I mean, mind, like, this is like, a, this is definitely a show where it's harder to release like 
a short, like a limited number yes. of episodes to get yes, people that's interested. That's what I mean. That's what like, I mean. Uh, like I, I, even, it's like, surprising think, that they didn't do the three. Yeah. Like even if you give them three. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't think that this show is for everybody. I think that's what it comes down to. I think that this show is, is like as funny as it sounds for some, like for, for Tony who thinks that he was making a show for non star Wars fans. If you're not a star Wars fan, you're not going to give a fuck about this show. Like, <laughs> because not only is it a star Wars show, it's a star Wars show about one of the most, like, like one of the characters that's probably the most forgettable in all of the saga. Like this dude. Oh, bro. I'm not going to lie. Like when they first announced <laughs> this was going to be a series, I went Andor. They, they picked Cassian, they Cassian Andor. So he's like, getting a Disney plus series. What? Yeah. I mean, like, and, and that's the thing though, too, is like, you've made a show that the, the, the creator is like, I want to appeal to more than just star Wars fans. But you made it. You made a Star Wars show about one of the most obscure Star Wars characters in the fucking movies. Like, who's gonna watch that? That's not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> Unless yeah, you're I, forced to watch it by a Star Wars fan, with and and then you start to like it. Why would you watch it? Like, yeah, he doesn't think of it. He like he definitely didn't think about that. <laughs> like, you catch like the reason that Kenobi was massive. Is because anybody who's ever seen Star Wars, doesn't matter right. if you're 75 or you're Kenobi. 25, knows who Obi-Wan Kenobi is. You have a very limited section of your audience that even knows who Cassian Andor is, and you name the show after him. Like, so do you think, <laughs> does this ploy end up being successful for them? Do they, do they add any new subs? Do they convince any... Any people that were ignoring it to to come over to the dark side of adult Star Wars and, and check think, it out. I mean, it's nice that it's during a holiday, so you're going to have large gatherings yeah. of people. And, you know, the, you're going to have me's and you's at these gatherings. Like, hey, guys, hey, you know, after a football game, let's throw on uh, Andor. You guys check it out. I know you don't got Disney+. Plus. It's pretty good. Check it out. The Cassian, Rogue One, you know, yeah, that guy, the guy that dies on the beach. Yes, I know. You know he's dead, but now we get to kind of see how he becomes that hero. Let's let's give it a watch around the, the fire as we gorge on turkey and all the other nonsense we eat during Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I, I do think that they'll pick up some subs. I, I do think that they'll get some people to come in and, and finish the series. I don't think that it'll be in numbers. Like, I don't think that yeah. they're going to see a massive spike in, um, in numbers because of this. But this, this is a, a total, and I hate to say it, but it is, it's a total desperation move to, to try and get more eyes on this series because they, they believe in the product. It is great product. It's just, for some reason, it is not marketed well with both Star Wars fans and, for sure, casual fans. It's just yeah. people are I mean, not watching it. it it falls in like it falls in a zone where it's like if you like Star Wars, Star Wars, if you like the Star Wars that you've seen since you were a kid, probably not going to like this show. Like if that's your Star Wars and that's what you really enjoy, there's a good possibility that you're not going to like it because it's not that. Right. And if you're, uh, you know, if you're a casual Star Wars fan who watches the movies, you're definitely not going to like it because it's nothing like the movies. This really only appeals to hardcore Star Wars fans uh, because even like even if you're presenting this to like somebody who is completely unaffiliated with Star Wars and you're like, this is a really good drama spy thriller. 
there's too much that you need to know to appreciate it. Like, yeah, to really appreciate it. I mean, I think like dummies could get the gist, but I I think that's with episodes one through three, not episodes one through two. (laughs) Episodes one through two, they're going to be going like, you what? idiots are watching this shit. Like, yeah, they're what, gonna be like, what the fuck are is we? This? Are we going anywhere? Like, is, like, does this shit fucking happen? What's this? Who's this Casa asshole on this Canary planet with these? Yeah, like uh, it's, r- it's separatist too, logos who are Republican. You know what the fuck's going on here? It, it's it's too. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I don't even know uh, how to say it, but it's it's too niche. Like, yeah, like there's it's it's really hard uh, because it's too niche. Yeah, I like I All just right. don't get. But yeah, but it is it is this there's a reason this is happening. It's not Disney feeling good and generous, it's Disney going, "Fuck. Uh we we thought we figured out Star Wars. It just keep it on TV. People will flock to it." And now they're like, "Oh shit." So hopefully this doesn't do what uh Solo did for the TV verse where they, they they start clinching their buttholes. And and having these big high level meetings questioning the value of Star Wars and if they can make more Star Wars stories. I I think I in my mind it's still absolutely ridiculous that Disney at this point in time in owning the Star Wars license hasn't figured out the fucking film side of things like Marvel has with, with their properties and characters. It's just it's crazy. And I'm not saying I need a fucking two or three movies a year. But we should, for damn sure, be getting at least one Star Wars movie a year at this point. It's it, it's crazy. All right. So, anyways, if any of you cheap asses out there, if you want to catch Andor next week, ABC, eleven twenty three, four five six. Uh, this studio studio Ghibli thing is useless at this point in time because that uh, nut was cracked over the weekend. It, it was Grogu and the Dust Bunnies, which was teased a few weeks ago, and. I don't know studio whatever, so it didn't really resonate with me. I, I watched the short and it, it was dumb as shit. I'm sorry. Like I, I love Star Wars, but but sometimes like the little kitty cartoon stuff. Nah, I mean it, it. It's like it was like Grogu was drawn on a paper bag and literally was playing with dust bunnies. So yeah. So I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll end up being a part of. Vision season two, but it's yeah, it does seem like that was particularly. It, it, it was, I mean, even even my kid couldn't stay focused on it for thirty seconds. He's like, <laughs> eh. she was like, eh, whatever, dude. But we did finally. I, I got her to watch Tales of the Jedi. Finally, it's not like the old days where she just like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, it's it's weird, and I'm sure I went through this, and we all probably did. But I I've realized my kid has kind of come out of her little kid cocoon to where her brain's been reset because she doesn't really remember a lot of the shit we did when she was little which is natural she doesn't really remember movie plots even though she would watch empire strikes back 10 times a week so we're we're, like she doesn't remember nick she didn't remember when we watched star wars rebels together i think she was like (laughs) three So maybe I'll get back to some of that. But she was a fan of Tales, even though she didn't want to watch the Dooku stuff. Only Ahsoka was like, no, you got to watch the Dooku shit. You got to watch the other stuff. That's the good stuff. (laughs) No, I am the the guy. I'm like, listen, no, listen, you you, believe me. This makes the Phantom Menace so much more cool. And she's like, fuck you. Like, what are you talking about, loser? (laughs) Like, I just want to build my Lego. 
All right, so let's go ahead and start to wind things down by entering into this week's version of the SWTS fan segment. That's right. Every week, we dedicate a segment to our fans. Why? Well, we're shitheads, and we think that it's going to make people like us and flock to us, even though that has failed miserably. But we stick to it. We keep doing it. We love our fans and what they have to create and sometimes say. So uh, the first fan segment opportunity you have every week is the question of the week. And with the question of the week, we post it on Instagram, in our stories, and on the profile. And your job is to reply to it. And then Nick will snag some comments for us to analyze on the show right about now. All right. So this week's question is not showing. Give me a second. There's that, one of those, one of these, there it is. What was your favorite or least favorite part from Andor, episode 10? One, way out, and I have a little dude swimming on there because I'm so fucking clever. (laughs) All right, Nick, uh, first one I'll take because I think it was a story deal from our boy Rippick Tan. Indeed. His reply, 100% the payoff of Andor inspiring Kino throughout the prison arc turning into Kino's epic speech. Holy shit. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I, that's why to me the prison arc was so great because it showed us and Cassian that he does have it within him to be this this rebel leader, a motivator, someone that can get people to literally follow him on suicide missions. So that that was big for his character growth. All right, Nick, you can take the block Yes. Replies. Next up go. is Lima for photos. He says the writing. I mean, how many good speeches and lines can you pack into a single episode of any show? Also, I love the fact that this is the last episode that I'll have to track down using the lower levels of Coruscant. Disney Plus will finally launch in the Philippines tomorrow. About damn time. Holly friggin Luyah. Uh, yeah, strong writing. And uh, I didn't even know. I can't believe that they hadn't launched Disney Plus in Philippines yet. That's crazy. But well, congratulations I mean, on getting your a lot legitimate time, A lot of access. times we, we forget around the world they don't quite have the infrastructure and, yeah. and ability to do stuff. I don't know what the delay was. I don't know if it was legalese and contracts. But, yeah, I mean, dude, there was a time where even the U.K. wasn't getting certain uh, Disney yeah. Plus or HBO Max shows. It's weird how all that shit breaks out. Yeah. So uh, good stuff there from Lima. Scout Trooper Yeti says, I can't swim with two crying faces. Um, Tell yeah. you, Kino Lloyd lives. He's alive, definitely, for sure. But yeah, I mean, fantastic moment. I, good stuff I tear there. Up. 2797 Studios. He says, of course, everyone is going to say the monologues brilliantly written and superbly acted. But to me, the entire episode was on point. The tension just building and building. Loved it. Quality stuff. The best show on television people aren't watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Go. I mean, they are definitely not watching it, which is why they're putting it out on all those other channels. True statements. Um, and then uh, Tones1138 says, both monologues from Kino and Luthen, both exceptionally written and perfectly acted, easily the best Star Wars dialogue in the entire franchise. There's Agreed, Sir Tones, Tones, who must be on the back shift this week. Yeah, but uh, yeah, okay. I mean, the it seems like the writing is the best part, which is like, 
in a Star Wars show, and as many years as we've done this, we've never <laughs> Sounds heard Sounds like an oxymoron, say, right? Yeah. We've never heard yeah. anybody say, man, the writing was real good. Good, good <laughs> writing and Star Wars never really kind of went hand in hand, at least when it came to dialogue. Now, we know the writing formed the franchise, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that, but in terms of writing a scene, yeah. You're not going to get better than what we saw in Episode Ten. Yeah, strong, strong stuff there. So okay, uh, so that, thank you that, all for your response. You you bet. And now for the final way to get involved in the SWTS fan segment, and that is through the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. The way this happens, if you have content that is Star Wars related on Instagram, make sure to add tag Star Wars Time Show and use hashtag Star Wars Time Show. And then throughout the week, I will look at all of that tagged and hashtag content and I'll feature it on our page at Star Wars Time Show. Come Monday, Nick sits down with his grand poobah hat, grabs himself his bubbler and picks his five favorite of those featured shots. And that's what we're going to talk about now. So we are covering 11.7 to 11.14. My friend, who made the grade this week? This week's first member, or members, I should say, of the top five, because this is our first crossover slash multi-user uh, feature is... Oh, we had one last week, remember? I was like, I, I was oh, like yeah, shit, you, Nick's yeah, starting a trend now. Yeah. This yes. guy is like making us type out more handles than we need to for the top five. <laughs> there, yeah. So this is from at Amrak Spot and at Wentzilla. Uh, and what we have here is an awesome crossover between Jurassic Park and Star Wars. So what we see is uh, little Grogu there on top of a massive cliff that is tall enough to just reach the top of a brontosaurus head. Mm -hmm. Um, and he is there kind of waving at the brontosaurus. I don't know if he's like using the force to open his mouth because it does look like there's something in the dinosaur's mouth. Dude, you know it's, that you know what it is? Is it's, it it's one of it's yeah, it's frogs? his little frog. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like I I think you could interpret the story of this image in, in many ways. Uh I, I honestly just saw the frog, so now to me it is it's like Grogu is is being assisted by a brontosaur, which is which is yeah. cool when you think about the differences in their their size. I mean, the scale yeah. here is crazy. But he's like reaching out, like, oh, can I have that? <laughs> you know, like, oh, come on, big guy, you're not a meat eater. Let me have that juicy yeah, it's frog. Like, you don't need that. I'll but take but that's it. that's what I like is just the the sense of scale Wentzilla yeah. achieved here is is impressive because you, you I mean you know these are just little toys and yeah Grogu's tiny but. Putting him on that cliff and then adding in the the smoke just really oh, yeah. kind of adds to the size and the the majesticness of the brontosaur, and you know they're different franchises, but this is one of those crossovers that just really works well for some oh, reason. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean the the attention to detail, like it's just so cool. You know, like the 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 little moss that he has on top of the the cliff, yeah. the the bassinet in the background, the camp tono right behind him. Uh, just a really well executed shot by Amrak Spot and Wenzilla. So, uh, good. They stuff. may be one in the same. I, I don't know if Wenzilla is okay. like trying to kick off a, a new account a or if this account. account's going to feature different stuff. But I do think, okay, it's so yeah, one in the same person. That that's that's my intuition. That's my yes, guess. That's what it says. It says Amrak on the Amrak Spot page. It says hashtag Amrak Spot. 
a 118th abandoned gamma energy mining planet now home and safeguard for all galaxies. So this is like him building his own like little uh, universe. Like, like we're getting almost like a, a, a cluster flux yes. like we have from cluster flux. Yeah, exactly. Cool. I dig it. I dig, I mean, Wenzilla, honestly, I, I, I like what they create. They, they create some really far out customs. I, I think I, I featured another one last week and it, it was of a clone trooper, but you wouldn't know it was a clone trooper. It's very cool. Almost like a, if I'm remembering correctly, a, a slight steampunk take to it. So I think Wenzilla likes to play around, customize, and obviously mash up and cross over franchises. So good work here mm-hmm. from Amrak Spot and at Wentzilla on Instagram. All it right, who is next? Next up oh is boy, at- look at that. Uzuri art and this is just a beautiful representation of uh older i would say i would say that this is like an older ahsoka you, you know what? I'll, I'll give you some insights here it's this is based on a clone wars episode nick where ahsoka literally is wearing like one of these winter coats okay um but yeah i mean uh, the the artists i think took a few liberties made made ahsoka a little more live action realistic looking versus her animated version yeah uh, but but either way like i again this is my creepy side i, I look at this picture and i was like i would marry this person <laughs> like I mean, she, th- this version of ahsoka just looks so exotic and powerful and beautiful it's uh, Uzuri art's a, a fucking champion like come yeah. on yeah, they, I mean, they do some truly incredible work. And like, this is an Ahsoka unlike anything that we've seen before. Excuse me, for sure. I mean, uh, much more uh, mature, much more like real, realistic looking in the yeah, way that the I face just, was portrayed. I, I want this this piece of art to come out on my screen and kiss me. Wonder if like that, they, you might be able to buy it because they have a, <laughs> they have an art store. <laughs> I'm just gonna get up and start licking the screen like. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I don't know, man. I, I Ahsoka is definitely one of my top five characters at this point in my Star Wars life, and this rendition of her is just it's it's spectacular. It, it's oh, yeah. perfect. It is Incredible like it's, it's 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 real life. It's live action, but it's still artistic. But you 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 know the animated episodes it's coming from. I don't know, just so deep, great stuff. Indeed. As to be expected, though. I mean, this page I'll pull it up real quick. I mean, every piece of art on here is a winner. Yeah, I mean, you really can't scroll down Uzuri Arts page no. and find something that you that is not. And they're they're in all the fucking cool shit. I mean, yeah. Andor. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, you name House it. Of the Dragon, I think too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, they features. And here, here's here's Namor getting a pretty nice looking piece. I mean, it's just th- this is just one of those artists where you're like, fuck, where where did they get this magic? What did they sell? How did they do this? Were deals made with the devil? I don't know. Um, but I wish I could be this fucking cool. Okay. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. All right. Next up, this is at Uzuri Art. Make sure to go give them a follow. Awesome work. Next up in the top five is at Johnny1300. And I mean, this is just a very well executed portrait style shot with two figures that we see. Uh, Vader facing the camera with Palpatine right behind him and kind of holding his hand out almost like he's, you know, in a sinister way as Palpatine always does. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just like the visage captured on Palpatine's face, like the look on his face, 
and just like the starkness of Vader in the foreground. Uh, it's just just really makes for a very powerful shot here. Yeah, I mean, to me, Nick, this visually embodies the concept of Vader being on Palpatine's leash. Yeah, you know what absolutely. I mean. Like this, this, yeah. this just kind of puts that right out there visually for us to see. Like th- this is what it felt like for Vader to be on the leash of of Palpatine, always yeah, some- behind them, always yeah. ready to. To pull the rug out from under him, always watching. Yeah. And the other thing I like here, as Nick brought up, it's the low light that Johnny 1300 uses actually helps Vader pop more than if Vader was fully lit. It, it, and it adds a little mystery or, yeah. or mystery, mystery to to Vader. I just I really dug the the it's 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 a simple setup, simple uh, light job, at least from what I can see. But I, I like the choices made. I think keeping the light minimum and really just having it come in from the right side was a great choice, and and kind of sells this shot. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree on that. Um, beautiful stuff there at Johnny thirteen hundred on Instagram. Go woop, give woop, them woop, a follow. Woop. Uh, next up, uh, another piece of real ass paint. This is from Savvy, one of our faves. Yes, at Savvy Art, S A V V Y Y A R T, and it's a very uh, emotional image that we see here. It is an image of uh, of Ahsoka mourning the death of Padme at her funeral. Unfortunately, it's the scene that we didn't actually get to see because Ahsoka was so like she was couldn't be there. She was hidden. She had to to keep away from the main procession and and, and yeah. watch from a distance. And uh, so this was almost this is almost like a you know a, a what if what if uh, Ahsoka could have properly mourned Padme type of uh, type of image here. And uh, it's just so well done in Savvy's signature style that that does harken back to to Disney uh, animation and, oh, and yeah. stuff it's, like that. It's just uh, very it's emotional. I mean, it's it's at Savvy. Oh, sorry, Savvy, if you're listening, didn't mean to do that. Sucked in a little too much air on your name. I mean, honestly, dude, I I, I see her in her story. She's a very active Star Wars creator, very bubbly and positive. She's someone I honestly think would make for a great co-host on our show. It would be such a different dynamic. Counterbalance. (laughs) Yes, exactly. To have someone as as positive as, as her sitting here with my negative dark ass and you know, you're kind of even Steven appeal. <laughs> it, it would be like the trifecta. You got the, the nut, the even Steven, and then the, you know, the super positive peppy person. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think our, or at least my language is a little too rough <laughs> for her audience. I, I'll never forget the one time. I think the first time we top five, she's like, Hey, this shit's great, but don't watch if you're a little kid because little kid, do not the language listen. is rough. It's like, yeah. oops, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, but no, she kicks ass. I mean, uh, Savvy Art, in my opinion, should be working for, for Disney, drawing oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I come mean, on. Super talented artist and and really is able to bring to life characters with images like this uh, in a beautiful way. So, But yeah, hey, Savvy, hey, Savvy, Savvy, if you're listening and you got free time on Tuesdays, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Maybe we should have guessed one time. Yeah, that's um, right. Awesome stuff there for Savvy Art. <laughs> and then the last one here for the top five is from at 97 underscore parsec underscore photography. And it is the Republic Commando Bros. Uh, what is this? What are they called? Like, ah, uh, shit. Uh, Delta Squadron? 
Is yeah, that right? Delta, De- Delta Squad. Delta Squad here. Now, now try to name them all because I, I definitely Ooh, can't. I know they're, there's, they're, they're, they're Scorch. <laughs> no, I, say there's Scor- I know Scorch and I think that's the only fucking one that I know. Uh, yeah, like I can't remember the rest of their names. Scar but- maybe? Is Scar one? I think Scar. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, look <laughs> Delta Squad. I'm embarrassed because I I know this is usually stuff that gets ingrained in my mind, but I I have lost the names of of Delta Squad from Republic Commandos. The leader is Boss. Okay. And then you have uh, Fixer, Sev, and Scorch. Okay. So definitely no Scar. (laughs) No Scar. Boss, I think I mixed Sev and Scorch together to make Scar. Scar, yeah. Um, but what we see here is is all the Republic Commando bros sitting in a heroic pose as they oh, turn yeah. away from yeah. the explosion behind them. Um, I don't the know, man. Shot. It's just it's so well posed. It's so well executed. The background um, gives you a lot of action to to look forward to. And then, like I said, you have those heroic poses from the yeah. Boys I mean, uh, let's Squad. be real. Boss looks like a boss in this shot. I mean, he he's standing there, he's got his gun up. But I just, I mean, I believe these are all customs that uh, 97 Parsecs picked up from possibly Black Series customs. And that's why they look so great, because the, the Hasbro Republic Commando figures look like shit. I mean, they, really? they look like they, they never ate. They're all, you know, super skinny bodies. <laughs> they, they didn't have the bulkier armor that the Republic Commando should have. Uh, so these, these customs are, are gems. And then obviously, yeah. you know, 97 Parsecs brings him to life with his excellent oh, yeah. I mean, toy photography skills. One of the best. One of the best for sure. And, and you for, are correct, Matt. These these uh customs were from Black Series customs on Instagram. Great. So if there, anybody at least, is, I, I, at least I was able to retain some useless information in my head today <laughs> to regurgitate. There you go. There you go. So if <laughs> I you remember who customized the, what figures on Instagram. Yay me. <laughs> if you like these and you want to pick up your own, go check out Black Series Customs on Instagram. You might be UK boys, I believe. I, I think both of them are Black Series and '97. I think they're both across the pond, and I believe now '97 uh, also shoots some uh, Mythos Boba fine good products for sale okay. too. So nice. uh, it sounds like Mythos sends him some gear, and the idea is like, hey, take pictures because you're great at this and promote my product so yeah nice little yeah. symbiotic relationship like awesome. midichlorians in your system yeah awesome stuff at 97 underscore parsecs underscore photography that is the end Boom. of the top five that is the end of our show for this week so matt right. take us home country <laughs> hey nick did you did you happen i know you you watch a little nfl yeah did, did were you up in time to tune in for the Germany game to see just how awesome that those fans were? I did not. So like the only reason I caught the Steelers and Saints game is because it was on at a brewery that we were at because I don't have cable. So like I only watch the shows that pop up or the games that pop up on uh like what what is it? Amazon. So I catch the Thursday night games and then um, every now and then ESPN will be gracious and they'll put up a game on ESPN plus. Uh, but that's a, a very rare. Well, well, anyways, just real quick before I shut us down, I have, I've never seen this at a football game and, and kudos to people in Germany, but I, I would say for the last f- two or three minutes, 
they, they were singing fucking Bob Denver. They were singing <laughs> Sweet Caroline. The whole oh, stadium, God. dude. You could hear it through the broadcast. Like even the, even the announcers, like this is the craziest thing we've ever seen. I mean, Tom Brady was running plays, and you hear like, "Take me home, oh, my God. country road." <laughs> I was like, this is fucking cool. Like, how cool would this be to be here watching this? And I, it was probably 15 minutes after the game. They were still all in there just having a fucking party. Like, I've been to a European football game. I, I was over in London when the Steelers played in 2013. It's awesome. Like, these motherfuckers, it's a Super Bowl every Sunday because, it, you know, it's something special. So, they they roll out major tailgates. They they really roll out the red carpet. So kudos to Germany. But that that looked wild to I, to have a whole stadium singing during a broadcast as play is going on. Like they just didn't even fucking care. I mean Brady's like, hey, whatever. I mean I think Brady used it to his advantage. He was catching uh, Seattle kind of fucking around listening. He's like, all right, go, and he just hike it, and they're still singing. So whatever. Sorry, <laughs> it's time to put this episode to bed. We just finished 239, my friends. That means next week we're on the 240. And no, we're not going to do anything special because that's who we are. We're the Star Wars time show. Every we don't show believe in special. numbers, anniversaries, none of that bullshit. When we hit 250, some people will be like, oh, 250. You know what? We're just going to show up for work on a Wednesday because there's always time for Star Wars time. And we're here to talk about it. So if you do like the show, you're new here, and you want to get plugged into our other outlets, other networks, my advice is to head on over to StarWarsTime.net, where you can find all of our podcast platforms. We're on all the good ones. That's, that's all that matters, so please subscribe. If you are a longtime listener, you still haven't subbed, shame on you. Stab yourself, poke your eye, do something to inflict some pain, and then go sub, rate, and review. I can't express how important ratings and reviews are on podcast platforms and how important it is if you're more of the live stream crowd to like, comment, and share the video on YouTube. In fact, if you're listening now on the stream and you haven't liked yet, first, slap yourself, then hit that like button, and don't forget to turn on notifications. We do the streams every Tuesday, 2.30p East on the tube, but... That's not all. We also put some content up on StarWarsTime.net, so don't forget to check out our web presence. Sub up, rate up, review if you can, like if you can, drop those comments. We love you. We speak your names. All right, my friends, here we go. Andor finale, 11 and 12. I'll have the breakdowns out before 10 a.m. East on Wednesday, so fear not. You will get some insights from the crew that brings it to you live every Tuesday. Don't forget, we need you to recruit, become our Luthan Rael. Who is our fucking Luthan? We need our Axis. Get out there, spread the good word, bring them on in and let them know if they listen to the Star Wars Time Show, the Force will be with them. Always. Always.